0: rippy Writes with brian scott rippy transcript
1: can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon ramming your head through some drywall and then writing down every thought you have
2: what's up on a thursday wednesday night depending on when you're listening to this i am brian scott rippy thanks for tuning in to another edition of the rippy rights podcast we have a terrific show on deck for you today One of the better times of the year, right? SEC baseball starting up. We've got March Madness on deck, packed on the sports calendar. We've got Colin Brister leading off, doing a little bit of an Ole Miss Auburn series preview, a look back at Ole Miss's 5-1 loss to Southeastern Louisiana in Hammond on Tuesday night. Uh, You know, it comes a day after Ole Miss being ranked the number one team in college baseball. Whether that game means anything, whether it could mean anything in a couple weeks and some – Troubling signs for this team uh, that's really kind of facing its first bit of adversity this year, but um, a chance to rectify it with uh, you know an opportunity at Auburn this weekend. Auburn not necessarily a strong club this year, but Ole Miss hasn't won a series on the Plains since 2009. So a lot of stuff into that. Some pitching matchups, a couple guys on the mound for Auburn that Ole Miss has seen before. Both of them they saw last year, and uh, some different stuff. And then after that, we have a real special treat for you. It is our NCAA tournament. We'll call it a bracket and wagering preview with a friend of the podcast, longtime friend of mine, Johnny Heat. Little is known about this man. He spent some time up in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, now a lawyer back down in the south. I think he was raised by wolves. But uh, real into gambling, (laughs) loves March Madness. This is his favorite time of the year. longtime buddy of mine had been petitioning to come on the pod swore up and down he'd be the most prepared guest he'd ever had, and he would deliver the people some winners. So we'll have some Skybox input, which you should go check out their package. We'll get to that in a second. And then we've got my old pal, Mr. Jonathan Heat, on the pod, bringing us home with some March Madness winners and a look up and down the bracket and what's going to be a fascinating NCAA tournament. So loaded show for you today. Buckle up. Before we get to that, I wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Look, this is no secret. Skybox owns March. If you're not on their March Madness package right now, you're missing out. You're going to go into the day tomorrow, later today, throughout the weekend, whenever you're listening to this, thinking that you're going to profit on all these basketball games just going off your own dumb brain you are wrong. And you're going to be sitting there Sunday night with the sweats, the shakies, the scaries, wondering how you're going to pay the man when you need to be asking, how's the man going to be paying you your supplementary income? And Skybox will lead you to that position more consistently than anybody. They own March Madness. I'm telling you, they're up over 110 units year to date. They have absolutely crushed it on over-unders. You need to check out their March Madness package. If you buy it right now on the site, you get 25% 25% off by using the promo code madness. If you just want to test it out for the daily pass week long pass, their normal typical packages, use the promo code Rippy R I P P E E. And that'll give you 20% off. And that'll also let them know that we sent you. So please use the promo codes, but check them out. If you're into wagering, this is one of the best wagering weekends of the year. Use skybox as a guide. It's cheap. It's affordable. And is going to be, more of a safety net, and more of a guaranteed road to profit than anything else this weekend. This is when people go full tilt and get out of control. Trust me, you're going to want Skybox as your guide, and you're going to be sitting there on Sunday being like, damn it, that Rippy kid is so smart because he led me to Skybox, and now I'm profiting in winnings when I'm looking at my own sheet before I use Skybox, and, oh, buddy, I went 1-12. in Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. How's that for an ad read? Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. We're gonna have Greg on the pod doing some March Madness stuff throughout. Couldn't connect with him uh, before the Mar- uh, NTA tournament started. Greg is down uh, at a horse showing in Ocala. I think is how you say that, Florida. So Greg, the meat sharp, the redneck Bog Baffert, as we affectionately call him here, was uh, often busy getting into the further into the horse industry. But we'll have him on here soon. But check him out. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright special, Rippy Wright subscriber, excuse me, that's RippyRights.substack.com. Type in your email. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just go into the store, show Greg proof of subscription, and that is yours. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. Grilling season is here. The weather's getting warmer. The cold weather's out, here, out of the way here in Dallas where I'm at. The days are longer. We finally got that daylight saving stuff out of the way. You're going to want to be wanting to come home and throw something on the grill, enjoy the baseball games, the basketball games, whatever your sport is and throw on a delicious piece of meat on the grill. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's, whether it's the bacon-wrapped fillets, all kinds of delicious sausage, fillet burgers, different Wagyu cuts there. Greg wants to make your grilling experience better. He would walk you through the process, whatever you want. He's got it in there. Check him out, LB's University Avenue. It's the best place in the world to get meat. Soon to have a second location here in the next month or so. They're in the central Mississippi area in Glugstad to serve the Metro-Jackson area, so be on the lookout for that. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford, an absolute jewel of the South. All right, here is Colin Brister on a little baseball preview for Auburn as well as what to make from Ole Miss losing back-to-back games for the first time this year as well as their midweek loss to Southeastern Louisiana. Here he is, Colin Brister. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent Colin Brister we uh, we're here to do a little probably Auburn preview Ole Miss lost last night uh, to southeastern Louisiana there in Hammond by a score of five to one we'll hit a little bit of that and uh, Ole Miss loses back-to-back games for the first time this year and so there's there's weirdly a lot to talk about after a midweek game right before SEC play feels like there's a decent amount of moving parts with this team Um, first though I think we need to get to more important news uh, should we talk about the press release? We we've opened with the podcast with basketball like three of the four times. It would be just a, honestly a disservice to ourselves not do it this time. Would you like to talk press release?
0: Did you read that press release and release and just get angry because that's what I did? I'm on a bus coming home from Gulfport and I read it like six times just to make sure that I wasn't like dreaming or I, or I was you know yeah asleep. That is That was one of the most impressive uh, spin jobs that I have ever seen in my life.
2: I laughed because it just got to the point – because we got about four – I would say four paragraphs down into it to where I was like, I can't be upset about this. This is honestly hysterical. Like, if you take a step back, I got it at about – I mean, I'm sure I got it as soon as it was sent out today. But around, I felt like it was around lunchtime because my phone blew up pretty shortly after that, I think right after it got posted to the board um, in particular. But I was just reading it. It was kind of a slow day at the office today, and I honestly was kind of like having like I don't laugh out loud that much, but I was kind of, when I got to the part about the uh, the double digit conference losses apparently make a positive. I kind of started chuckling out loud. I was like, I, I can't believe this is real. Um, I don't even really know where to start. Why I'll start. Why?
0: All right. So let me let me let me start here. Um. What is your theory as to why Ole Miss finished their season a week ago tonight and today they put out a press release that Kermit Davis will be back? What happened in that week?
2: Um, This isn't even a conspiracy, but I feel a little bit hesitant to go dive into this. But to hell with it. I'm not a reporter anymore. I think there was a chance, and I don't know this for certain, but reading the tea leaves, I think there was a chance – That Keith Carter was gauging things and by gauging things I don't even necessarily well I do mean partially this way I don't think it was just the maybe changing landscape in college basketball right because you saw you know the Georgia thing play out pretty quickly and Mike White takes that job not that you know Keith Carter was just looking at his best friend to see what to do I don't mean it in that simply put but looking around there I would be I would be Pretty shocked if there wasn't an inkling of thought or action in his head to maybe get a gauge of what it would look like to be able to buy Kermit out of the remaining $9 I don't know that for a fact. I'm purely speculating here. But I think that's probably what was going on because I do feel pretty, with sincerity, you know, the productive meetings they were talking about, I feel pretty confident in saying that that happened on Monday afternoon. So maybe he gave it the weekend – was gauging a little bit. They met Monday afternoon. I don't know why right after that you wouldn't just come out and say, and he's back, whatever. But, again, that's, you're talking about less than 48 hours at that point. So, from that time frame, it makes sense. But that's my best guess as to what happened. What do you think?
3: Yeah. If you
0: knew for a fact he was coming back on Wednesday night, I feel like you'd just come out and said that on Thursday. Now that we know – now that they've put out this statement – and we know they just weren't ignoring it. I feel like if they just absolutely knew the guy was coming back, then they would have said that on Thursday morning or Wednesday night or whatever. Hell, they could have said it a week and a half ago. Um, but I don't think they did. I'll, I'll ask you because you're you're more knowledgeable about the inner workings of Ole Miss basketball. If if Kermit Davis's buyout was $2 million and not whatever it is, nine, I think, is he still the head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels? Ooh.
2: I honestly don't know. I would lean probably 55-no, 45-yes, if you want me to put a percentage on it. But, I, I honestly, I really don't know. And you talk about – that was the weird part in the aspect of all this because Kermit had that press conference on the Wednesday night <laughs> after they lost him as due, right? And I don't, I'm, you watched that. I think we talked about it briefly on Tuesday. Yeah. He sure spoke like a man who thought he was coming back next year. That guy – and, of course, you know, unless the meeting happened before the end of the season or a meeting happened, not the meeting – that sure felt like a man that had already talked to his AD and was like, all right, you got a year to fix this and was, you know, already kind of pretty focused on next year. He sure talked like a guy that was coming back to where, if you look at Ben Howen, and I didn't look at Ben, I didn't watch Ben Howen's press conference, but he had one either yesterday or earlier today. I can't really remember as we record this on a uh, Tuesday night, but I kind of saw it in passing where he was kind of pleading his case to, you know, he hopes he's back next year with the roster. That's what I figured Kermit would be like Wednesday night, but Kermit spoke pretty defiantly and so that's what made this so bizarre, because I don't actually know what happened or what the actual thinking was in that period before Monday afternoon, that being this Monday. So Wednesday night through the weekend into Monday, because it was bizarrely quiet. And so I feel like if you said, if you knew for sure that he was probably come, that he was coming back, you would have just stated it but then you have the way Kermit talked on Thursday I really just don't know it was a bizarre five days I have no idea what the actual like truth was or what anyone was thinking like that's a terrible way to put it but I've, I honestly I just throw my hands up I have no idea what it was like in those five days from Keith Carter's standpoint nor Kermit Davis's
0: I feel like and and maybe I'm wrong here I I think you're absolutely right um I will say this I I, I was worried that you know, the the Ole Miss fan base, because frankly, I felt this way. I was worried that um, they would become apathetic and just, you know, not care or whatever, and and frankly, maybe that that winds up happening if Kermit has another bad year. I will say this. There was a a vocal – I don't know if minority is the right word, uh, but there was a vocal presence uh, uh, among the online Ole Miss community that was not happy um, when it came out, I guess, on – Tuesday from Jeff Goodman that he would be returning um so it does does appear that a lot of Ole Miss fans are not happy with the move but you know you also with with, with Keith Carter like you gotta get away like should I have do I want a pissed off fan base and apathetic fan base maybe uh versus having to pay a basketball coach nine million dollars to leave um and that's a really really hard decision and I, I'm one that thinks Keith is pretty good at his job so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, especially, you know, with him and in, involving basketball, because frankly, I mean, we can put it like this too. If Kermit doesn't work out. It's kind of the first, you know, chink in Keith's armor, right? Like he, uh, he basically hired him. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, he, he basically made this decision. And if, if this doesn't work out, it kind of falls back on him in a way. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's something where you look up and say, Oh, Keith Carter doesn't know what he's doing, but I, I do think he is kind of, tied to Kermit in a way
2: oh I think you're right I think he played a pretty heavy uh, hand in having him hired to say the least it'll be interesting to see how as you just put it how it's kind of framed right because you know technically Ross Bjork was the, the suit at the desk but Keith Carter had a pretty pretty firm hand in that search and you know by all accounts Kermit was kind of his guy and it's a it's a weird trajectory right because you know, his first year, he makes the NCAA tournament when they're first finished finish last in the conference. You're like, oh, my God, this guy's the second coming of Christ. Like, what is he going to – is this the next Duke? And then all of a sudden, you know, another AKP sleeves and then another AKP sleeves and Devontae Tari, and then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, this guy can't score. And at the risk of just, de- like, depicting Kermit's career year by year and going through it, it's a fascinating trajectory because on the surface – if Kermit Davis made it, or like just put it, Andy Kennedy. If Andy Kennedy made an NCAA tournament in 2000, when he got hired in 06 or 07, if yeah, he made one I'd in 2000, yeah. if he made one in 08, let's just say, sure. And then didn't make one for three years in a row. I'm not sure how hot his seat would be. You know what I mean? I think he would be under no. pressure. But it's the way that it happened for Kermit, right? On the surface, Kermit make the NCAA tournament, having a down year, coming close to making the tournament, and then having another bad year. Like on the surface, that shouldn't be a guy who's Seated Ole Miss is, you know, flaming hot given the well, tradition here, but it's, it's how it happened and it's the product on the floor. And if he's a four seed in the NIT this year, as many right. much
0: people don't want to hear this, we're not having this conversation, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, I Look, mean, if they were close again this year and didn't make it, I don't think you're really having the conversation. I do think there's pressure there, but that's got, we're saying two versions of the same thing. It's how it happened.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that they – look, I mean, here's reality. And, look, we can talk about the dynamics of the SEC and all of that, and that's fine. Um, AK was here, what, 12 years? And AK had one year where he probably looks back at and was like, oof, we were not good that year, and it's his last one. Um, they played on Wednesday night in the SEC tournament once under AK. They played twice in the last three years under Kermit. It's not just that he's not making the tournament – to me, it's that they kind of stink right now.
2: Not, um, you know it's losing to Missouri three times. Right.
0: It's and really neither none of the three games were close. Um, I know, you know how many wins
2: back. a Missouri had on the season.
0: Yeah, it just well, you know, they're not very good. And like at least with AK, I mean, you know, and I'm not look. I, I joke on Twitter about you know just how rehire re- AK. I'm not being serious, but at least with AK, it was a competitive product. Um. You know, and then there were look. AK had its flaws, but there were they were at least competitive. I mean, you know, there there were very there was one there was one Wednesday night SEC tournament game. As I go back to it. it's to me, it's the fact that it's not even the NCAA tournament that they're not very good um, and not competitive with even really the middle tier of the SEC, much less the top.
2: Oh, absolutely. And what the real purpose of, of me bringing this up was, was the press release. May I uh, read you an excerpt oh. from this press release for those that may not have seen it? Because it is, uh, it's something. Short-mart. Yeah, it's something. So it's titled Carter Davis, Carter comma Davis focused on the future of Ole Miss basketball. Blah, blah, blah. Some canned quotes about, we're committed to supporting him and the resources necessary to compete for championships. They threw a new Heights reference in there, which is always a nice touch. Um Kerman had a thing about him being a Mississippi native. This is where it got me. Davis's squad narrowly missed the NCAA tournament in 2021. That's fair. fair statement. That is a fair statement. You know what I mean? If they sure. beat LSU – now, it's not a certainty that they would have made the tournament had they beaten LSU on that Friday night in Nashville a year ago. Pretty close to it. But yeah, I was about to say, it, it, you could go as far as to say it was – Likely, but you know, talk to Texas A&M this year about how bid stealers work. They were the fourth team out
0: without beating them in a really, really unprecedented Oregon State run in the Pac-12. So they were really close. That part is fair. I saw some people criticizing. That's not fair. No, no, it's fair. I
3: think it's
2: just worth pointing out. It was not a slam dunk, but it was close. Like that. That's a fair statement. The way it's worded. Sure. Here we go. Uh, This is. This, despite being the final the final Power 5 team to start their season due to COVID within the program, the Rebels went on to lead the SEC in scoring defense 65 points per game, winning 10 of their final 13 games. That's fair, but I will point out that at no point last year was Ole Miss basketball fun. They got one and a half away from making the NCAA tournament, and it felt like pulling teeth the entire time, did it not?
0: They, they beat Auburn and Tennessee in a week, and look, like, you won the game. You did what you're supposed to do, but like you said, And they beat Missouri in a really big game at home, but it's like they still weren't able to score the ball. It's just – and, look, I know, like, they they were really good defensively last year, but, man, it's, it's a tough watch when you're not able to score.
2: They were the number one seed in the NIT. Now, remember you had the weird COVID deal last year. The NIT was centrally located. I actually went to their NIT game where they were torched up by the Lofton kid at Louisiana Tech. So, number one seed is nice. But you do realize they went one and done in the NIT in a game that wasn't that competitive. I believe that you were playing that game. I want to say somebody he did, not. He did not. He did not. So, whatever. Hold that against him if you want. Here's the kicker paragraph that really just blows my mind. The winning streak against ranked opponents extended into this past season. The Rebels tied an overall program record with four consecutive top 25 wins after beating number 18 Memphis. That's fair. That's the Imani Bates Memphis team. That team was nowhere close to a top 25 team when Ole Miss played them. But give them credit. They had the number 18 by their name. When Ole Miss beat them in November or early December, whatever it was. Whatever. No qualms with that. Ole Miss had an additional top 25 victory against LSU. Could have stopped the paragraph there. Should have stopped the paragraph there. Should have ended the press release by now.
3: Got to do
0: some SID.
2: In addition to narrow defeats in hard-fought bottles at number 18, Tennessee, lost 66-16 overtime. Versus number four, Auburn, lost 80-71. And at number six, Kentucky, 83-72. to By my math, that is a double-digit loss. But, hey, I'm not the one doing the media relating. In total, I, I wonder if they just
0: looked and saw if they covered the spread or not.
2: That may have been it. They were 16, 17 that night. You know, who's to say? They were a great draft team, team, Kings team. In total, the Rebels lost five games to net top 50 teams by 10 or more points. What are we doing here? Well, why, why are you bragging about t- net top 50 losses as a selling point point to why to keep your coach? Hey, look, you have a nine-point loss to Auburn, a 11-point loss to Kentucky. By the way, five of those losses that we had this year, five of the 19 we had to net top 50 teams. How about that? How about that? What are we talking about here? What does that actually mean?
0: So, you – you, you. and my favorite part is none of those mentioned were one-possession games. It's not like they talked about the South Carolina game where the kid hits the buzzer beater. Oh, my God. Well, I think it begs
2: the... the question. It's a good point. I think it begs the question, did Ole Miss get screwed by the NIT? Because clearly the NIT selection committee did not look at net top 50 losses, and I think that's a crime against humanity. What, what I, are I, we you, doing know, here? you know what been a would a crime. You, against why would you put that in there? I but do you that. know what would have
0: been an actual crime against humanity? What is that? making me watch this team play more basketball?
2: That is also true. Um, you know, all this was missing was the fact that the 2020 season was canceled due to COVID, so that year's an incomplete. Because do you remember who actually finished their season? <laughs> that, year? that is my favorite part. It's like nobody. I watched your season end against Georgia that night. I hey, saw you, it. To their credit, they did not put that in there. If that would have been the cherry on top if they'd have put in, you know, the 2020 season was interrupted due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. It's like, buddy, your season wasn't interrupted. You lost to Georgia on that Wednesday night before the world shut down. Your season was over. The you might claim you won a national championship. You may have been the only program to finish your season. How about that? Hang on, in. The 2020
0: Ole Miss Rebels season was not interrupted by COVID. When just, they walked off the floor at Gridstone, their season was over, pal. I think
2: they should hang a banner in the Tadpad, 2020 season, finished. <laughs> it
0: goes Wait, gets the, the top- pads so nobody sees it?
2: Exactly. Maybe it gets <laughs> wet when the roof leaks. But the – I mean, he goes on to talk about the all-conference players. I just – I, I don't get it. And I don't understand. And, look, I don't think Keith Carter – I know Keith Carter did not read this press release because that guy's smart enough to, once he got to the money yeah. paragraph that we just read, would have been like, hey, what are we doing? What, what, who put this in here? And why do they still have a job? Someone in the communications department screwed up. I get it was probably just some nice – I don't know if it was the SID for basketball or someone below him. But how is somebody not reading over this? and then throws their hand up in the room. What did Chase and Neil like to call it, hand guys? I'm like, hey, what are we doing here? Why don't we just put out a quote that last season sucked, it was not acceptable, and we're on the path to changing it and move on. You know, people got mad that they went a week without saying nothing. Look, I'm judging the entire thing based on this paragraph alone, but isn't saying nothing better than that aforementioned paragraph there? Absolutely.
0: Without a doubt. I mean, that, that paragraph made you mad. It's like I, I, at no point. Should a Power 5 SEC basketball program be bragging about close losses? Like, we pay a basketball coach $3 million a year. We have to pay him $9 million to fire him. And here we are bragging about losing by 11 in a
2: And to be fair, Ole Miss is probably the only place that would be paying Kermit Davis $3 million. What other school is taking him for $3 million right now? Oh, do you know how
0: – look, and I hate to keep going back to AK, but do you know how, uh, how much – capital a k would have if we just talked about close losses.
2: Oh, it would be endless. You could write press releases for weeks. It's just you it's, could have
0: convinced them they never lost it rough because they always played well up there.
2: Almost ruined Kentucky's nearly undefeated season that year. They did. <laughs> I if would love Moody to see doesn't that in the cramp
0: up notes. that night, they, they win that game.
2: I was about to say, I would love to see that in the game notes because John Calipari said it. A Steph Moody cramp away from ruining Kentucky's perfect season. <laughs> put it in the rafters. I just <laughs> – Oh, that would have been a good press release. Oh, absolutely. You just put Moody's face on a banner and it's like, you know, the ring ceremony is, you know, 2024, 10-year anniversary. <laughs> or whatever. I just I, – I, we could do this all day. We need to get to baseball, but Wow. A lot of, that's some great media relating. Wow. That's all I'll say. The,
0: hey, you used to be a, uh, you used to be in the media relating, didn't you? Did, did, did you
2: have a job? You? I'd actually put, so I was the in-house reporter for a year as a GA and I actually put this on the board when Chase posted the press release. I really post on the board unless I'm posting a podcast or responding to a question or something or an article. Um, I put, this part reminds me when I worked as the in-house reporter as a GA in 2016, when I had to write the gamer from the uh, sixty-six to three loss to Tus. it field goal. Yeah, Wonderlicks field goal, not quite enough as Crimson Tide edges past Rebel at sixty-six to three. You, I remember like, I remember this like it was yesterday.
0: You texted me this and it was like, "I'm about to have to publish this crap."
2: <laughs> it was written at halftime. I watched Seinfeld during the second half.
0: That was a. Uh, that was seventeen. That was with uh, that was with uh, Matt Luke and Shea Patterson was just getting beat to death. The poor kid. I actually felt bad for him that night.
2: It was it was an unfair fight, and it had come after some years of animosity from Freeze prodding the fire. And uh, just just say, Mister Saban was not letting up. I think, um, I believe Matt Jones made an appearance in that game, and Buddy he got his throws in. Um, <laughs> and he was third string at the time. That was uh, yeah, he was uh, to a two A J. Hurts. I actually remember standing on the field during that game. And, you know, Matt Jones is a pretty big guy. And I go, who the hell is this dude? And, you know, everyone likes to talk about Matt Jones like he's a scrappy walk-on. And one of the Alabama reporters next to me while we're walking up and down the field goes, he's their third stringer. And I was like, where'd they get him? They're like, bro, he's top 150. He's a four-star. <laughs> so, anyway, before we lose further sanity, we need to get to some baseball before we get out of here. Ole Miss last night, so we got SEC play. SEC play is here. Let's start with the positives. I'm looking forward to SEC play. Got some good matchups this weekend. Um, this is when it feels like the season gets real. For the hey, Rebels, it are, feels like a, a bit – I don't want to call it a crossroads, but uh, it feels like an important point in their season. We'll just start – We well, you want know, to start with last night? We'll go – uh, I guess as we record this is last night. Ole Miss loses 5-1 to, one to Uh Take this any way you want it. Thoughts?
0: So, uh, before we go there, I have a quick question. Are we going to pick series that we don't keep score to again this year?
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. And then I'll make, I'll actually make a promise to keep score and we'll see if I keep up with it. Look, if you get this in the <laughs> newsletter tomorrow, it'd be new year, new me, pal.
0: <laughs> um, so here's my takeaway on it. Uh, it doesn't matter. And if it, so it, it, let me rephrase, it doesn't matter right now. And if it does matter, then Ole Miss has bigger problems than I, than I realized if that makes sense. Like if we look up in June and the c loss mattered, um, then Ole Miss had a bad season because they lost a lot of midweek games um, and that kind of wrecked their RPI and that type of thing. If we look up in June and, it, you know, Ole Miss is the number four national seed, and and I think that's more likely than, you know, them wrecking their RPI and, you know, maybe not hosting, um, then this game doesn't matter. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if this game winds up mattering, then Ole Miss has bigger problems than I realize. I don't think it's going to because I don't think Ole Miss is going to make a habit of losing midweek.
2: I think you're right on with something there. And honestly, even if you look up and say four weeks from now and they've hit a slide, maybe this game told you something because I could, I guess last night with the way they lost the game, if this team were to hit a slide and I know this sounds simplistic when they score one run and lose the game, but the way it went down, you know, not putting necessarily to great at grade at bats together, right-handed heavy lineup, you know, giving up a couple runs late and being terrible defensively, they made three errors. Like if they end up going on a slide, like I think this game could have, maybe you could look back and say, okay, maybe this was indicative of how they were playing because, you know, they have faced, I don't know if adversity is the right way to, right way to phrase it, but you do lose Kevin Graham last week. You lose Calvin Harris in the week after that. I don't know how long Calvin Harris is out. I don't even really know what a midsection strain is. You know, Kemp Alderman gets dinged up last night. It sounds like he will be okay, but they've shaken up the rotation since like there's been more moving parts in what felt like a, you know, for about two and a half weeks, they're an impenetrable force. So, like, if last night was kind of telling, and we look up in four weeks, I c- I could see the case, but I tend to lean your way in that it probably won't be. If that makes sense, because this is C-Lot's got a good program. This is not a good sealot team.
0: No, it's not. But it is sealot team that beat Arkansas. Um, but no, this is not one of the better sealot teams. So, yeah, it's we'll see, we'll find out. Um, but I I don't I don't think this is going to start some slide. I think Ole Miss is going to win two this weekend and. All is gonna be right with the world. Um, so, look, they played badly. If you want to, you know, worry about something, it's obviously to me that there's no reason to worry about the the, the freaking offense. They'll be fine. Um, it's the defensive lapses, man. Like, and sometimes I'm not even sure it's that they're bad defensively. I think they just lose focus sometimes. And frankly, and maybe this sounds dumb, I think they're a little nonchalant. That's not the right word. I think they know that they're really good on offense and if they make an error, it's going to be okay. And for the most part, they're right. But also don't make the error. If that makes sense.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. Also do you think that to kind of adding on to what you're talking about, because I agree, do you think it's the fact that they haven't been in very many tight games? I mean, look, they're in the one nothing game, the eight, seven game against UCF, but they were budgeting people so badly that you, you know, they were struggling to get to nine innings to see what their pitchers are at. And look, you know, Six to two game against Oral Roberts was kind of close, but I don't think anyone in the building ever thought Ole Miss was going to lose that game. And then they had a couple pitching mistakes in the finale and they lost it. But you get my point. They haven't been in very many one run games in the seventh inning on. Do you think that's part of it? Because, you know, I would imagine other than three days in Orlando, they probably walked out onto the field for every game so far this year, thinking they were going to beat the snot out of the other team. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, Oh, I've put that the wrong way. They probably entered with that mindset with every time, but you get my point. They knew they were far superior to the opponent every time they walked out.
0: Yeah, and, and, and sometimes that results in you not playing as well as you probably could or should. Um, so, I, I don't know. I think this team is going to be fine. I think, you know, we had the same conversation last year. They're not very good defensively, and then we looked up the SEC, and they were just they weren't a very good defensive team. They weren't bad. They were average. I think if I had to guess, that'll probably be the case this year. I don't think they'll be abysmal defensively, um, but that's it's one thing that we're going to have to see this weekend. Um, if Ole Miss plays well defensively, frankly, I, I expect that they'll win too this weekend. If they don't play well defensively um, in an SEC ballpark, an SEC game, um, in an SEC series, then I think there's a there, I think there's a bigger issue at hand.
2: Oh, I think you're totally on board, on right with that one. And just kind of tying it back to last night a little bit, they make three errors last night, two of them at pretty crucial moments in the game. I believe they were both on Jacob Gonzalez, right? He boots a ball and then he – well, the other one didn't turn out to be an error because the guy didn't advance. He made the play where he uh, – I think he caught a line out or something. I can't remember. What, where did he – he chucked it nine feet over uh, Elko's head at first when I'm getting at, it. I don't think that turned out to be an error. But it was right it was after hearing, like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, that almost killed someone in the stands. <laughs> so, it was just very, very sloppy. And, you know, I'd point to put this in – context is limited on Twitter, but I put this out last night just – had, I had a break in the podcasting and I had the game up on one of my monitors at my desk. But, like, you know, we talked about this before. There had been some teams, like the 2017 team when all those Oxford kids were freshmen and they just stuck Dillard in the outfield because, you know, he needed to hit and a couple other places, what was left of Tate Blackman's mobility at second base. And I can't remember who else was where. Will Golson probably playing every position but catcher. There were some teams in the past where if they suck defensively, you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense with the way Mike's having to finagle this lineup. This is not a team that should be that way, particularly when you're getting Burford at third base and you're getting bench and center with um, McCants at a corner outfield spot. This team shouldn't be bad defensively because it's an upgrade at first base defensively from Cale Baker to um, – To Tim Elko as well. Like that's the part that maybe if you want to call it alarming, they shouldn't be this bad. They shouldn't be bad at all.
0: No, no. It should be a – frankly, it should be a good defense. Um, and reality is that it's not. So um, I don't know. It's uh it's some but here's the thing, we talked about for a week the first week of the year, I didn't play well defensively, and then for three weeks they played well defensively, and then they have two bad games. Um so I don't know. I, I I tend, if I'm honest, to think they're the team that played. You know, I think eight errorless games in a row. Um, but we'll find out this weekend. I mean, the 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 thirty game sample size that matters is, starts on Thursday night.
2: Yes, absolutely. And it's going to. Uh, it's kind of at a fascinating point with the way the schedule lines up as well. With uh, last night, Washburn. I actually thought he was okay. Like I thought he was pretty good. For the most part, he made a mistake. And one of the things I noticed, and it's just a small thing, like he gave, up the, uh, he gave up the solo shot to whoever that kid was. He hit it a ton, credit to him. But I can't remember if it was that one or the run he gave up in the third to where one of them he meant it went immediately back to work and ended up being fine. I want to say it was the second inning where he gives up the, uh, the solo shot and he goes strikeout, foul out. But then the, he gave up another one in the third, and I think I can't remember if it was a single or whatever. But he ended up getting in a three ball count to the next two guys, and like he missed high on all of them, and it almost seemed like a little bit of frustration of overthrowing. I don't know is that like a thing? Would that make sense? It was oh yeah, was oh yeah, night. that that that, that he actually makes a mistake gives up a run misses high in a row, which is usually a case of an overthrow, which you know not great, but it's a minor thing. It's just something I noticed.
0: Yeah, so, so overthrowing, and, and I'll be honest here. So this is, I think, the two innings I, I wasn't able to watch. Um, but if if what you're saying, and I do believe you're accurate, is that, you know, hey, the ball's missing high. What's usually happening is speeding up his uh, delivery, flying open a little bit, especially if he's in the windup um, and the ball ball's messing up. Yeah, and that that's been a thing with Washburn all year. Is like, man, you look at his stuff and it's really really good. And then you know he walks two in a row or whatever. He, he's got more walks than strikeouts. And you know it's uh, it's an ongoing process with him. They're trying to mold him into a starter. Frankly, um, with Ole Miss, and I don't know if I don't know if we've said this on here or if you know this, but Ole Miss is officially uh, uh, Gaddis Diamond TBA on Again. Saturday. So. Yeah, I I think they're trying to mold him into being a starter uh, on the weekend, but you know he, he's going to have to find location. He's going to have to pitch um, pitch in the strike zone a little bit better than 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 what he's done so far. But I, think, I do think Ole Miss' ultimate goal is because the stuff is so real that that he fills in on one of those weekend spots. Um, and and the reason I say that is because I, I don't think. Um, I'll say it like this. I I think if they wanted to keep Jack Doherty in the rotation permanently, they're they're not TBA on Saturday. So Mike obviously has some hesitancy in some regard with that.
2: I think you're right with that. And, you know, I'm about to say my, you know, 19,000th take on what the rotation would be on the weekend. But, you know, (laughs) I think one of the lost things in sports media sometimes is people just refusing to change their opinion despite the data changing. And we keep seeing, you know, a little bit more sample size, of different guys and what this team could look like. I think you're dead on with the fact that them going TBA again when Doherty didn't pitch last night is probably them having some hesitancy of just naming Doherty the Sunday guy, because as we talked about all year long, uh, excuse me, the last week or so particularly was – Doherty as the Sunday dude does not feel like a permanent thing, whether it's the, you know, I wrote the newsletter last Tuesday or whatever, where I made the argument for him as the Friday guy. I admitted after that, probably a little bit premature, but whatever the case may be, that doesn't feel like a permanent option or necessarily what Mike and uh, the staff wants to do there to where I think you're exactly right with Washburn. I think in a perfect world, he takes over as the Sunday guy. And then you have Doherty as, you know, a pretty high leverage relief guy that you can use a lot of different ways. I think that may be their, I would say optimal solution, but at the end of the day, you got to have a third guy that gets dudes out, which kind of brings me to the point about the reason I brought up the overthrowing thing after a mistake. Well, on Sundays, let's just say Washburn's the Sunday guy in a month or something on Sundays. All you're making sure – all you're trying to do is make sure, like, as the Sunday starter, don't give up seven in three innings. You know, can you give me four over five or five over six or five over five, whatever. Whereas a good offensive team where if you make a mistake like that, you overthrow and leave a couple up, uh, that could turn into a four-run inning pretty quickly or a three-run inning off a pretty minimal mistake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good way to put it. It's – uh, so, <laughs> I'll say this, too. Um And, unfortunately, for Ole Miss – they, uh, you know, they played the doubleheader last Sunday. I think and, – and I don't know if they could do this. You could look at the radar. Um, I don't anticipate Ole Miss and Auburn playing baseball on Friday night. Interesting. I would think that they'd rather do the doubleheader tomorrow. That way they avoid seven-inning games. The problem for Ole Miss with that is, uh, well, you've got Diamond starting a game on three days rest. So, I don't know what they're – I'm sure they'll just try to get in on Friday and suffer through a, a seven-inning doubleheader on Saturday. But I say that to say this. I wonder if Mike maybe peeked at the radar and realized I probably need to, you know, I'm not going to hold Doherty in a seven inning contest like I did last time just to have him start a game. If I need him to go, you know, close out a win or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's, I I'm with you though. I, and, 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 I, I think we've said this before there's, you know, there's not a ton of data that suggests that Doherty's, you know, the starter that he is reliever. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know, it, it'll be interesting to see who Ole Miss trots out in the third game of the series. But like we said, I think, I think Washburn is the guy that if, you know, in a week or two weeks that they've molded in to be that guy.
2: And regardless of who it is on Sunday, there's also a scenario to where, you know, weather aside, let's just say Ole Miss wins Thursday and they're up 4-3 in the sixth or seventh on Friday and you've mm-hmm. already, for whatever reason, used Brandon Johnson, like, you're winning the series with Doherty there, right? Like You right. probably your best bullet, you take two, and you figure it out on Sunday, particularly on the road. Like, that's part of probably the thinking in this as well.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, and and frankly, look, this isn't, you know, how Mike does things, and Mike's obviously a lot better baseball coach than I'll ever be, but um, that's how I would always operate. I, if I can go win a series or I can push a game, I push a series to – you know, win it on Sunday. I'm not going to sit back and hold a guy just because I've named him my Sunday starter. No, it's it's time to go win a series. It's time to go win it. You can figure out Sunday on Sunday, and it's a lot easier to do that. On the, you have the offense that Ole Miss does,
2: yeah, particularly on the road, right? That's only amp right. that is only amplified. Trying to run, look, whatever you make of Auburn and what they may or may not be, Ole Miss has not won a series there since 2009, which is a wild statistic. I yeah. saw on the internet. I should probably validate that, but it felt correct because we talked about them not winning there in a while. But, like, if you got a chance to win two on the road against in the SEC, I don't give a damn if it's Missouri, Kentucky, you know, whomever. You'll finish it right then. So, I think that's part of the mindset as well. Last night, Ole Miss gets three hits. We talked about the offensive part. I think I tend to agree with you it being an anomaly. Chase made the point of them missing Graham because one through six in the order last night or one through five in particular was not very good. You know, their run came from the bottom of the order of the three hits they had. I think almost all of them came through the bottom part of the order. it's, It's a weird deal because they drew a decent amount of walks. And at the same time, didn't it feel like they were two swings away from being in like a five, five game in the eighth inning last night or something like, you know, I guess say they, they drew a ton of walks. They drew five walks. T.J. McCants gets two of them. It felt like they came in important spots. It didn't feel like it was a ton of quiet base innings. Could probably they, you know, hit into a costly double play there in the, I think that was the fifth and the sixth, may have been the sixth and the seventh. I can't quite remember. But point being, it is one run on three hits since the second, you know, offensive game in a row where it hasn't looked great. Really, you could call it the third. I know they scored six in game two against Oral Roberts, but I mean, I think you and I would both agree that wasn't exactly an offensive uh showcase what do you make of that I, I know you mentioned you probably tend to think it's an anomaly but at this point it's not you know totally nothing i do think they miss kevin graham a little bit but what do you make of the lack of left-handed bats in the lineup particularly if calvin harris is out do you put any stock well
0: that, that that's a that's a really good way to put it I, I don't look the offense is good um the the left side the, the left side and swingers have not been um you know, they've been hurt with, with Harris and Graham. And then I think Gonzalez will be, you know, what he was at the end of the year last year. But, you know, he's had a little bit of a – I don't even want to call it a slow start. I still think he's got a 950 OPS. But he's he's going to swing it better in conference play than he has so far. Um, you know, look, I think two things can be true at once. I, I I think that this team is maybe in a little bit of a slump. Um, which is going to happen over a 70-game, you know, season. Um, but I also think, like – I think they can slow with Kevin Graham in the lineup, if that makes sense. Like, I, sure. I just – I'm Calvin not going Harris to
2: do what? Yeah, and Calvin Harris, for that matter. On to I think it's a good point. Yeah, I, I just
0: – I think some guys are having some bad days at the plate, and, you know, that's going to happen. And and I don't necessarily think that just because Kevin Graham is out is the reason that they're having that 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 you know those struggling at bats. I I just think it is what it is right now. Um, and if you're an Ole Miss fan, you yeah, hopefully it doesn't continue into continue into the weekend. Um, and if it doesn't, then you really don't have anything to worry about.
2: It would be – from a from what they faced last night. And look, Kemp Alderman had a deal, and this was probably the uh, the shoddy camera angle. I'll say I'm not going to dump on the. Uh, the uh, Southeastern Louisiana broadcast by any means, but let's just say that the the camera work was not going to win an Emmy um, <laughs> last night. <laughs> when, when Kim Alderman hit the ground ball in whatever inning that was and then kind of stumbled and fell down, I thought he like elbowed himself. Like, I, I thought that I was like, oh, that's a non contact. Like, that looked really bad from what I gathered. And like Chase mentioned earlier, I don't think he mommy shared it. It sounds like he's fine. It was more of like something he hit himself with the bat, just like a bruise thing. But like, at that point, I was kind of like, oh man, like, are they about to get hit with the injury bug so bad they're about to have like a, uh, like, all of their depths about to be eroded. But it kept Alderman being fine or not, I have no idea if he'll be in the lineup Thursday, regardless of what the injury actually was. But it did make you think that, you know, it's not insignificant that uh, Calvin Harris has missed over a week now. And it's not insignificant that Kevin Graham is going to be out four to six. You know, you're one more fluke thing away from, you know, we talked about the lineup being 12 deep and having so much depth. Like, you're one more injury away from it being, I don't know if you call it an injury riddled season, but some poor injury luck toward that depth's almost completely eroded, if that makes any sense at all. Like it's, it feels like it's one, you know, significant, insignificant injury away from being like, okay, this team can't catch a break, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, and you're thankful that, that you do have the depth that you've developed over the past few weeks. Um, yeah, so. It's look it, when when Alterman gets hurt last night or comes out of the game, personally, not the right word. You you, you do get you know concerned that you know how are they going to get through this? But it, I don't know. It's it's a good thing, right? That you look up at this point. Then Mike's played all these dudes because they're going to roll into Auburn on Thursday with with guys that have a lot of experience and, and have played um, a lot of a lot of SEC games. I'll ask you. Um, we know, we know the six guys or the, yeah, I guess six guys that'll be in the lineup on, on, I guess, is it five now? I don't know. On Thursday. What do you, who do you expect to be in the lineup on Friday or Thursday? Uh, knowing that Auburn is throwing a right-handed pitcher.
2: That they saw last year in Mason Barnett, by the yes. way. In the Saturday yes. game. Yes. Um, I will go, are we counting Alderman as healthy or not? We'll say he's healthy, yeah. Okay, fair. uh. Alderman in a corner outfield spot in Leatherwood as a DH. Okay. Like that like whichever one they want to do, I don't know what Mike will end up doing. At this point, it seems like no matter whether it's left or right, it's probably gonna be Burford at third bench and center McCanton right. So doesn't what am I missing? Does that kind of take care of it?
0: Yeah. Um if you're putting the other one at D H over Van Cleef,
2: Yeah. I think it I mean it's not it's not a lefty, which is Mike's kinda of hang up against Leatherwood. Maybe I'm wrong in that. What do you think?
0: No, I think that's right. I think that's Um, the only one, you know, uh, I I don't really, I don't expect Van Cleve to be the DH against a a right-handed pitcher. So, yeah, I I think that is the lineup. I think I would put Leatherwood in left field over Alderman. I think that's the only change that I would make. So, um, you know, uh, give or take whatever. I, I, I expect the same nine that you do.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one as well. I love all of our listeners. I have to run through this really quick. I'd be remiss if I did it. I made this tweet about the defense being as poor as it is. I'm not going to flame people by name, but, buddy, there were some takes about this one, and it's probably a little bit old Miss getting the number one ranked, you know, being the number one ranked team in the country and then immediately losing a game. I get it. The Passion is what makes it, like, fun for uh, people like us. But there were some takes flying around last night. Are you ready for a couple of these? So this was just oh, about God. my tweet about the defense, Doug. You ready for one?
3: Shot oh, needs
2: to DH. He is dog water at second. Rec ball arm. Put McCants at second. Leatherwood and right. What do you think of DH Peyton Shotenier? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> What's the next one? Okay, we got no. But they get they get better. Um. Oh, they do. Well, there's a <laughs> hold on There's one. <laughs> that. Hold on. Um, damn it, did this guy delete this? Please not. It was a take and a half. If they deleted this, I'm gonna be upset. It was the this guy took issue with the bunt in the sixth top of the sixth inning. Mike just can't let his assistants have any say. It's why they've lost so many coaches (laughs) over the years to lateral jobs. I believe Mike has lost two coaches since twenty fourteen, both to head coaching jobs, so I have that correct. Uh, uh, You
0: mean the guy that was the volunteer assistant and took the took a head job and the guy that was the hitting coach that took us all the water shop that was a good job uh um, that's correct yeah you mean that yeah look there's a lot of flaws with mike um
2: retaining assistant is not one of them
0: mike clement is one of the best hitting coaches in the countries and he has been here for seven years eight years now i feel like uh so like, Mike holding on to assistance is is not an issue.
2: I don't mean to clown on our listeners, but the guy did follow up talking about how they haven't had a legit pitching coach since Kyle Bunn. Well, Mike's kind of the pitching coach. Mike was a catcher. Uh, I, I've seen that little man walk uh, walk up down the right field line, stand at the back of the bullpen mound, and that's kind of his practice perch. Like, th- that's that's because Mike wants to be the pitching coach. You can make it harder whether he should hire one, but it's not because pitching coaches don't want to come to Ole Miss. I'll put it to you that way.
0: So, so, as someone that really likes Carl Lafferty, do you want to know the fastest I've ever seen Carl Lafferty move?
2: What is that? To get Ellis up in the 14 super?
0: No. Um, so, last year against Arkansas on Sunday, you remember Mike got run?
3: I do.
2: Like,
0: like, so, Laugh is down in the bullpen watching, like, Braden Forsythe get loose, and he doesn't realize what's going on. Like, because Mike gets run from the dugout. He doesn't come out and, and get run. He gets whatever he said got him run from the dugout. So, Carl was a little bit, like, behind realizing that he just got thrown out of the game. And then, like, I, I don't know if he missed Mike's argument or whatever, but Mike goes back to the clubhouse, and Carl, Carl realizes there's nobody in there to call pitches. So, my man, on a dead sprint, goes down the warning track to make sure he got in that dugout because someone was supposed to have to call the pitches.
2: <laughs> I love that. You could just leave it up to whoever's ever in the game. If it was Josh Malich, you knew it was going over the middle of the plate. Who needs to call pitches? <laughs> true. Uh, I have two more before we move on to Auburn before we get out of here. Uh, one, uh, so one person said we haven't fielded a bunt in six in 15 years. I'll have to check the numbers on that. Uh, but they, there is some legitimates to that in all series. I'll they miss- do have
0: some issues with bunt defense. I'll go there.
2: Um, a decade and a half without fielding one. I'll have to go back. Maybe I'll ask Langston Rodgers about that one, and we'll get into the archives. Um, Ole Miss only plays hard when they're ranked number one. I have to check the tapes on that one. Um, Wait, they that only was,
0: play hard when they're ranked number
2: one? That is correct, which I don't know how you could have that one from last night. I It Feel like
0: feels like a juxtaposition there.
2: I was about to say, I'm, I'm fairly sure he was, <laughs> this guy's was joking, but uh, <laughs> I just did enjoy the responses. I got in bed about three hours later that night and was like, Oh, buddy, what did I? What have I opened up? Um, I,
0: uh, I really just need Ole Miss to win this series so they can stay number one so I don't have to hear about how Ole Miss always blows it when they get put number one.
2: It's March. It's going to rotate out no matter what. Ole Miss is going to lose a series. Well, season. no,
0: not if Ole Miss doesn't lose a series.
2: That's true. If they win every single series and don't lose a midweek Thursday, they they will remain number one. And they will not well, have a problem hosting. I don't know them. if you know this. D one does not care about midweeks. They do Not, not at all. They do not. <laughs> it, it carries very minimal weight, which you know. If there's an argument for and against that, whatever. But I think you're right with that one. Let's uh, let's hit Auburn before we get out. Sure. of that. The Auburn Tigers are 13 and four on the year. They lose to Oklahoma, so they play in the Arlington tournament out here in my backyard, Globe Life Field. Lose three to nothing uh, to Oklahoma. And open the year, win two to one against 12th ranked Texas Tech, and then beat the hell out of Kansas State. So good one to start the year. Kind of going a little run, drop a game to Yale there in the middle. Uh, pretty sturdy pitching, and then all of a sudden, Middle Tennessee State says, to hell with your pitching, War Eagle, we're going to drop 10 runs on you every single game. They dropped two out of three to the Middle Tennessee uh, State Blue Raiders there. Um, one of those being a doubleheader on Sunday, probably a couple of seven-inning games. If I No, excuse me, two nine-inning games. Excuse me, I apologize. Um, well, actually, no, no, it may have been seven. doesn't matter. Point being, they're coming off a midweek loss, or excuse me, a weekend loss to Middle Tennessee State. Had been pretty sturdy from a pitching standpoint, not a ton of offense, and the flip kind of, the script kind of flipped a little bit on them last weekend. Long season could be an anomaly. What is kind of your read on the Auburn Tigers and what Ole Miss will face this weekend? Um, I think if I had to guess
0: on Auburn right now, they're a bubble team as far as getting into the tournament. Um, so three seed or miss the tournament. I, I think they're going to pitch it a little bit better than last weekend looked. Um, Mason Barnett is going to be their Thursday guy. Um, he's been their midweek guy up until this point, but what I'll tell you about Mason Barnett Ole Miss got after him a little bit last year, but he's a high VLO guy. I think he's going to be a, a, a draft guy. Like, I think he's a probably a first or second round pick by the time he leaves Auburn. He's just, he's got good velo. He's got good break. Tomorrow, he's got to learn how to pitch. Um, and you know, obviously Auburn hopes that happens tomorrow night, but, um, Ole Miss is going to have to play well. It's, it's just really that simple. Ole Miss will have to play well on Thursday night um, to beat Mason Barnett. I think John Gaddis is, is probably a little bit better on the mound, um, and I know Ole Miss is a good bit better in the, in the bullpen. So, um, I don't know. I, I think Auburn is, is going to be better on the mound, like I said, than they showed last weekend. I don't think them and Ole Miss will finish with the same record or even close to each other. So, I think Ole Miss is a better baseball team. Um, and Ole almost frankly, should go over there and win too. It's, it, I'm not going to project them to sweep, it's really, really hard to do that on the road, but I do think this is a road series that if you're Ole Miss, you look at it as one you're able to get.
2: I think you are dead on in that assessment. So, Ole Miss saw Barnett last year in the Saturday game, I believe that was yeah. the case. Um, and they also saw the kid they're going to play on Sunday, so Trace Bright, who's slated to be yeah. off on Sunday. So, Auburn, when was he was the higher?
0: Sunday guy last year?
2: I was going to say, he's a Sunday guy this year. I don't know if you saw this. Auburn went with the rare TBA Saturday, and there's a reason for that. We'll get to that in a second. But they're going Barnett, TBA, Trace Bright on Sunday. Um, Hold on, hold on.
0: Just just for clarity's sakes, the series is Thursday, Friday, Saturday.
2: Yeah, excuse me. Sorry, game three. Um, But the rare game two TBA with there in the middle, Ole Miss got after Bright um, pretty good. He only gave up four hits, but he gave up seven runs, had some walks that were costly last year, and then Ole Miss got the better of um, Mason Barnett in that game, too, that Ole Miss won 6-5. to five. That, Do you know who started that game for the Rebels?
0: Uh, do I know who started the Sunday game? That would be D.D. That would be Derek Diamond.
2: Yes. Do you know who started the Saturday game, though? That
0: would be Drew McDaniel because Nikhazy was out with, uh, with an issue, uh, I think a chess deal or something, pectoral issue.
2: You are absolutely correct in that assessment. So, Ole Miss, Barnett goes three innings. Ole Miss got after him a little bit. They scored six runs, only four earned, couple walks, five hits. Barnett only lasts three innings, if I remember correctly, and I remember very little about this game. He was on a little bit of a short lease. And like you mentioned, high-velo guy needs to learn how to pitch, was a bit erratic. Drew McDaniel turned in five innings of two-run ball and six hits, seven strikeouts, no walks there. But if you'd have asked me last year, Drew McDaniel made a Saturday start, right, I'd have been like, no, what are you talking about? That, I completely memory hold that one. I didn't remember that at all. So the two pitchers Auburn has listed as starters, Ole miss his face and had great success against both – of. I say great success, moderate success against both of them. But, look, when you have a lineup that returns pretty much everyone from last year, I don't think that's insignificant that they've seen the, both of these guys before.
0: Yeah, um, and even Elko, that was uh, before Elko got hurt. So he got to see both these guys. This was the first series last year. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't, I don't think it's insignificant that they've seen both of these guys. Um, I can't remember, you know, the Ole Miss and Auburn played in the SEC tournament. I can't remember if either, I know they didn't start the game, uh, but I do wonder if maybe they, they pitched in that game on Tuesday and Hoover. I can't remember. I or call. to check
2: that one. Let me, uh, I can look that, here, keep going. I'll, uh, look that up in live. I actually got IT all over it.
0: <laughs> but no, it's, it's not insignificant at all. And, and they both had success against those guys. Um. Frankly, the game almost didn't have success in, in, in that series last year was the first the first game. Um and there's nothing you can take away from the first game. It was Cody Greenhill versus uh versus Gunnar Hoagland. And Gunnar Hoagland had one of the best pitching performances that I had seen in a long time. Um that night he goes eight innings, gives up no runs and uh, Broadway comes in and shuts that down on this one's one to nothing off the off a home run by Calvin Harris. Um but yeah, Ole Miss just kind of blitzkrieged them on Sunday that night, day if I remember correctly, um, and then they they won a really close game on Saturday too. Um, I think it was kind of high scoring, and you know, but but Barnett and and uh, Bright are they're quality right-handers. I do think right-handers play into uh, Ole Miss's wheelhouse. I think they they play obviously better against them. So uh, we'll see. It's uh, but it is it is good to have some familiarity against both of them.
2: I was going to ask you if you thought that uh, Friday night Auburn start from Hogan was his best start in an Ole Miss uniform, but I'm not really sure what, like, if there's a comparable second. He was terrific that night. Goes eight innings, allowed three hits. Things struck out nine or ten. The one run came on a Calvin Harris pinch hit home run in the eighth, and Broadway closed it out. Well, you talk about, look, wasn't an offensive juggernaut, but Cody Greenhill is a good pitcher. I thought that was one of Ole Miss's cleanest played games last year. They won a really tough fast game against the Auburn team who wasn't great last year, but, you know – they were playing better toward the end of the year, but I guess the point being is this, that was a tough game and they found a way to win. Ho- Hoagland was terrific in that game. The Ready for a name that had been around the SEC for a long time, Jack Owen started the uh, Tuesday game. Uh,
0: Tuesday, the, I remember that.
2: The ninth-year senior, it seemed like Mr. Owen, and had <laughs> arm trouble like every single year. I remember for like three and a half years, Ole Miss was like when they were playing Auburn, it was like, well, like will Owen be in the rotation? We'll see if he's healthy. I'm like, Jesus, this guy's been injured since I was a freshman. <laughs> so um anyway for one last note on the pitching part of it auburn is going tba because they have oh uh, what's the gonzalez kid's name their saturday guy had been their saturday guy um apparently is dealing some, with some kind of moderate ailment. at joseph gonzalez had been pretty solid for them throughout the year so far i don't know exactly what the injury is i couldn't get a read on it but it sounds like he's You you use a football term questionable per se it sounds like he could start if not they're gonna have to kind of figure things out maybe you see um maybe you see the other kid move up a day I doubt it I'll probably just go with. no
0: they're gonna go bright on Saturday
2: yeah I think so too so I'll be interested to see what they do in that middle game pretty decent chance that Ole Miss sees three right handers this weekend which is a uh Certainly a positive for the Rebels. From Auburn pitching staff perspective, the only other thing is the Burkhalter guy is now their closer, and he's been pretty He's solid. really good. the bullpen has been up and down pretty good for the most part so far of the year, but then, you know, had a tough weekend against the Blue Raiders. I don't know what to make of Auburn at all. I don't think they're good, but, again, this is in Plainsman.
3: Yeah,
0: and Ole Miss, like you said, hasn't won there since 09. So, um, yeah, it's uh, – it'll look, Ole Miss is going to have to play well, and, and they don't make a habit of playing well in Auburn, frankly um they should have won the series in 19 they should have won the series in, i guess that's the only one like 17 15 and 13 Didn't neither one of none of them stick out to me um almost didn't play well the, the last time they went there um in 2019 they had the game one if i remember right in the saturday or the last game of the series it was on a saturday um but they just didn't weren't able to close the game out crazy uh Karacy. I'm not I'm not sure if he blew the save or what happened. But that I was
2: do the remember. start of his struggles. I know exactly what you're talking about because there was a weird Cooper Johnson play at the plate. Here goes our brain doing random shit again, but you get like, um, what was that? I want to say, was that the last series of, no, it wasn't the last series. They lost five uh, six, five in ten innings.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, if I'm not mistaken, Ole Miss took the lead um, five to four in the tenth, and then they gave up two in the bottom.
2: You are exactly um, correct. I just pulled the, it up.
0: If if my brain has a finite amount of facts to remember, then uh, I'm in trouble. But, um, you know, it's Ole Miss doesn't make a habit of playing well there, and and frankly, they need to start this off at least two and one. Obviously, three and is the goal, but um, you'll take an SEC West series win anytime you can get it. So if Ole Miss can start this off two and one, I feel like that would be big.
2: That leads us probably into a good final thought on the series because, honestly, I don't have too much on the matter. We covered the injury aspect of it. I don't know what Auburn will be at the plate. They do not hit the ball out of the yard at times, but they've been a serviceable offense at times, but got off to a slow start. We'll just see. There's not a lot of sample size on either of these teams. But one final thought here is I think it's important that they get two as well because, look, if they lose this series, is it the end of the world? Of course not. But we talked about how favorably the schedule sets up for them for the first month of SEC play, right? You get Tennessee at home after this, at Kentucky, home against Alabama, and then at South Carolina, which South Carolina looks fairly strong so far. But the point being after that, it really ramps up with state road trip to Arkansas, at LSU, A&M to close the year with Missouri sandwiched in there in between. You know, all of a sudden, like if you don't win two out of three here, you're facing a pretty hot Tennessee team at home, And, you know, you're another series loss away from really not having taken much advantage from the soft schedule, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's important to get off a good start in that sense, where you take two, you kind of put the midweek loss in the rearview mirror, and it's like, okay, can you find a way to get two, possibly three against Tennessee, and then go beat up on Kentucky? This feels like an important swing series to start out, where you kind of see the first sign of vulnerability with this team.
0: And look, I mean, let's just tell it like it is. Outside of the three games at UCF, and I guess technically the last game against Oral Roberts, we don't know what this team is made of. So um, we haven't played close games. I mean, it just you know, so it'll be interesting to see kind of in that environment what Ole Miss looks like and and what how they how they operate. Because I mean, frankly, it's just you know, Mike hasn't had to put the pieces together to win a game um, so far outside of the three games in Orlando.
2: We're ready to pick some series before we get out of here? Sure. All right. Let's see if I can get this computer to load. i got to stop going to so many questionable websites. Let's see. Here we go. Well, now we're getting close. Loading, Bueller. You don't want to pick the Missouri Valley by chance, do you?
0: I don't. I don't. I, I don't think I'd do a very good job.
2: Now we're on the SEC. There we go. I don't think there I would do a go. good job in the Missouri Valley either. Ohio Valley maybe because I'd pick Tennessee Tech no matter who they were playing. Um Low blow. Didn't need to go there. State at Georgia. Georgia in Athens State. You know, say sweet Princeton. I don't want to say they got back on the right track. You know, they kind of go there in a dogfight with Binghamton, but playing a little bit uh, better now. Uh, Go ahead. Right here. I'll let you lead off.
0: Georgia wins, too. Um, I just, I don't think State is ready. Look, I think State will be fine by the end of the year. And By by fine, I mean, I think they will be a two-seed in somebody's regional and give somebody a headache, but I don't think State is ready to be that two seed right now. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, I think Georgia's pretty good teams, and especially in Athens, I have I think I've got Georgia one and two there.
2: I've got Georgia two as well, and honestly, you know, State's scrambling on the mound with the loss of Sims, but you know they haven't hit the ball very well this year. And Georgia pitches the hell out of it. I'm going Georgia two there as well. Tennessee hosting South Carolina. South Carolina coming off a big series win against uh, Texas at home this past weekend i'm gonna go tennessee too but i think this is a really competitive series um yeah i think
0: that's where i'm going to i'm gonna go tennessee too just because it is in knoxville and um tennessee's a good team so we'll uh we'll we'll learn a little bit more about south carolina this weekend that was a really big series win for them obviously last week um but you know we'll, we'll we'll see what they're made of when they go to knoxville against a really good team tennessee's still without their friday night ace and blade tidwell too so um wouldn't be shocked if Carolina was able to get to, but, I, but I, I got a hard time picking against the balls in Knoxville.
2: Ole Miss Auburn.
0: Uh, Ole Miss wins two. Uh, yeah, I, they- I'm not going to pick the sweep on the road, but I do think Ole Miss is a good bit better, and if they play well, I don't see them losing the series.
2: I'm with you there. I no really further comment either. I think Ole Miss takes two, um, but they will need to play well. I'll add it with that caveat. So, that's the analysis you pay for this podcast. Missouri on the road at Vanderbilt. God bless the Tigers.
0: Oh, God uh, Vandy wins 3.
2: I'm going to go Vandy 3 as well. Little frisky one here. Alabama I know has been kind of up and down. Don't really know what to make them, but they do Arkansas host Florida. Alabama hosting Florida. Florida. Alabama wins 2. I am not impressed with Florida yet. I'm going with the same thing. Based on I watched a couple of midweek games, I'm going to go Alabama 2. I think they get off to a nice start. Pro- Florida probably ends up fine with the way they yeah. do it, but haven't been overly impressed. Arkansas hosting Kentucky. That feels like Arkansas 2, maybe 3.
0: I'm going to go Arkansas, too. Um, I think Kentucky is not incompetent. Um, I think they're kind of like Auburn, maybe a back-end um, regional team on the bubble. Um, and frankly, Arkansas hasn't swept all year outside of, you know, uh, I, I take that back. They did sweep last weekend, but they, they lost games um, the first three weekends. Arkansas hasn't made it a habit of sweeping, um, so it's hard for me to project them that they will. So I, I'll take Arkansas winning two in Fayetteville over Kentucky.
2: I am with you on that one. I think Kentucky probably gets one. Lastly, A&M is going to Baton Rouge, so LSU, A&M, and Alex Box.
0: LSU wins three.
2: I'm going LSU wins three either. I think the slosh thing is going to get going eventually at Texas A&M, but they, uh, they look pretty rugged at times.
0: They're either. not good. They like stay. like That is a series that Ole Miss – and I, I think that may be good timing for Ole Miss because they get them the last series of the year. They're going to probably have played themselves out of any regional talk or maybe in the SEC tournament. Um, if you remember, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong on this. I think that team missed the tournament last year too. Um, so I, I just, that's not a good baseball team. I, I, I think LSU is going to make a statement in Jay Johnson's first year and, uh, Madden Rouge in his first SEC series. I, I think
2: LSU sweeps it. That feels like LSU obliterates them. Uh, uh Aggie's pitching. I'm with you. I think I'll go. Yeah, I'm going to go LSU three. So, there's our uh, first week into picks. I'll throw it out in the newsletter. We'll see if I keep count. That's the uh, ultimate mystery with this podcast, New Year, New Me, if I do it. <laughs> he is Colin Brister. I appreciate the time, my man, and we will catch up with you on Sunday.
0: All right. Sounds good.
2: All right. That was Colin. I appreciate his time. As always, we'll check back with him with him on Sunday for our usual SEC baseball conversation. Conference play is here. I'm pumped. I can't wait. This is my favorite time of the year. Um, really kind of synonymous for how this podcast got going and took off. We'll always be indebted for Colin for that last year and you people listening along the way as, uh we took this Rippy Wrights pod to the moon. All right. Here is my friend, Mr. Johnny Heat, Esquire, Gambling Sharp extraordinaire. He's going to deliver you some winners over the next couple of days where there will be people blowing me up on DMs, Texting me left and right, wondering who this mysterious Johnny Heat fellow is that made them a boatload of cash along with Skybox. All right, here he is, our March Madness preview with my old pal, Johnny Heat, with some Skybox guidance along the way. All right, we now welcome on longtime friend of mine, now friend of the program, Jonathan Heat Esquire. Uh, out of, We've been buddies for a long time. We've been talking about doing this game week segment for a while. What better weekend than March Madness to do it? As most people are listening to this, probably late Wednesday night, early Thursday, one of the better days of the year, waking up hoops on, dawn to dusk for the next couple of days and then beyond. Um, you are out of D.C. You're a lawyer now, keeping check on uh, Joe Biden in the swamp up there. No, I'm just kidding. He moved back. Home. We're up in D.C. now. I joined the good guys. Yeah, <laughs> join the good guys, fresh out of D.C., back down in the south. How are you, my friend? I'm just fine. I appreciate you having me on, Reppy. It's been for a long sure. time. We, uh, we've we been looking forward to this for a while. So you've been off pretty deep in the college hoops this year so far. Kind of give me the lay of how things have gone this year and uh, how deep you've gotten into. Uh, really, everything leads up to this moment, right? You watch all these games to win money, but it's also this is the mecca. Certainly, certainly.
1: March is here. It's been a long time coming. Uh, no, Not one dominant team this year. The field's pretty wide open. Not going to have like a 2018 Villanova last year's Baylor team. You're not going to run through it like that. But so you're probably wondering, you know, how are you going to pick the field if, you know, every game's a toss-up? Well, that's where I come in. I've done the work, and I'm about to give you the analysis. It's going to be a good time. I'm stoked to the max about
2: it. Let's get it on. It's March. Good, good to be here, Ripy. Absolutely. We can start whichever way you want, but I got the bracket up here. So when I guess we'll start there. First impressions when it came out, I was, uh, I was actually on the golf course when the brackets were released. So I was a little playing a little catch up on Sunday night about what happened. And, you know, from like my perspective, Ole Miss's basketball season for all intents and purposes ended in January. I like college hoops. I watch it, you know, when the schedule permits and all that, which I mean, basically every weekend, but I wasn't as like locked into who was in, who was out the bubble per se, as if when Ole Miss would be in it. It seemed like one, people were very pissed off about Texas A&M not getting in. And then two, Tennessee, seemingly got pretty jobbed as a three seed but that I wrote about this in the newsletter on Tuesday we'll start with Tennessee so that's that tells me that the like the main takeaway was that the committee doesn't give a shit about conference tournaments because they could like seems like for the last half decade they've kind of told us that every year but like I don't know if that's totally consistent like I, I think largely they don't but if you're te- like Auburn fell just off the the one line right if they had not lost to A&M and they'd won the whole thing you're telling me Auburn at 29 and four wouldn't have jumped on the one you know what right. I mean it's so, like I feel like they care very selectively, but largely don't. What did you make of those two? Uh, those two kind of screw jobs. It, it was interesting, but you you talk about Tennessee in the conference
1: tournament. Tennessee had been mm-hmm. extremely hot to end the year. Kentucky win, Arkansas win, and then going back to the Arizona win. You wondered like, what more did they possibly have to do to get the one seat ahead of you know? Well, you know, not even the one seat ahead of Villanova, ahead of ahead of Duke on the two line. It was. Much better resumes. What you got going on over there, Riffy? <laughs> I,
2: I live this apartment, man. I've told stories about this. We got shit falling everywhere. Oh, that's okay, man. It happens. Sorry, I derailed you, though. So, Tennessee off the one line. Duke, you mentioned Duke in there. That's a two for story's sake only. Certainly.
1: I mean, Coach K's last year. We have a possible exciting matchup in the second round with Izzo versus Coach K and what, what, you know – you never know with Tom Brady coming back. Coach K may lose in the first round decide he's just going to come back and do it one more time, have everybody wave farewell to him. Uh, but we'll see. It was, you know, interesting. It was, But it was kind of like that all year. There wasn't a team that really, you know, you could argue all day, but the NCAA tournament's about matchups, and this year more so than ever because there wasn't one team that just ran away from the pack. You've got Gonzaga at the favorite, He just shot three to one, and that's overpriced. I mean – There is, you know, they've struggled out of conference against good teams. I mean, hell, they lost Alabama. Uh, It's just wide open. You can't be – so I wouldn't get too caught up on it if I was a Tennessee fan, what seat I was at, because they do have a decent little road – to uh, to at least the Elite Eight, maybe playing uh, playing a you know a good Arizona team there, but they really didn't draw that bad of a matchup. So I think Vols fans will be kind of pleased when uh, once uh, the tournament gets started off. May have a rematch with Loyola Chicago in the Sweet 16, and that'd be a rematch from an upset back in 18 when Tennessee was a two seed and got bounced in the second round by by Sister Jean and the uh, the Ramblers. So be an interesting road for them just keep an eye out for them they may you know that'll be exciting after that Longwood game
2: yeah absolutely no kidding there and then on like the A&M side of it so Ole Miss played A&M at A&M early in the year I think they made a return trip to Oxford but that is when your boy had turned the page to baseball season because uh that's what's uh that's what's paying the bills here at this point when Ole Miss sucks in basketball but they had a weird year right they started out like three four and in conference and they lost like did that losing streak get up to like six or like seven or eight? Like it was pretty bad.
1: It got bad. And then they got hot towards the end of the year. You know, I, I actually had the chance. I saw them towards the end of, or towards the beginning of that streak. Um, they came into Tuscaloosa there towards the end and absolutely rolled Alabama, put up 87 against them. And it was, you know, you're wondering, man, they were making everything. I mean, rebounding, crashing the boards, playing defense, whole thing. They looked good. You wondered. How they could have been like that. And then to go on the street, get up to what I think was 22 and 12 as a runner up in the SEC tournament. It was just a shame. We had a couple teams get in this year that really didn't have any business getting in. Uh, You had Richmond steal a spot there late with their win against Davidson. It was, you know, a couple teams that probably should be in this tournament that aren't just because, you know, because of some late game heroics in the conference tournaments.
2: Absolutely, and that's what Ole Miss had to watch for quite a few times um, under Andy Kennedy was the bid stealing the last week, right? You get a w- Richmond get hot and win the conference tournament. All of a sudden, that shrinks by a couple. What I took – I wouldn't say took issue with, because I don't care that much, but what seemed to me a little more egregious is the committee seems to love the Big Ten, and every year they seem to falter in March. And Rutgers and Michigan getting it, I won't make a case against it, because, right, you got Ken Palm, you got the net. The numbers are the numbers. Right. But at a certain point, like – I don't know. I watched a decent oh, bit of hoop this God, year. It's crazy. Yeah, the Big Ten gets what nine teams in, and the SEC gets six. I watched college hoops this year. Like the, you can make an argument the SEC was better than the uh, Big Ten. You know, you can oh, also I, argue I, it the other way. I, but it's I, not I, a three team difference. I don't understand how that works, and how a team like a And M that gets all the way to the conference championship early. game gets screwed like that.
1: Michigan's sitting at seventeen and fourteen. I yeah. mean, that's tough. I mean. you're if you're sitting there in your Texas a and you've got to be a little upset seeing them in the tournament. Just what, but, you know, Michigan getting in the tournament for the past decade, you get them into March, you never know what's going to happen with those guys. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting team with a not so hard path to the Sweet 16. So what's
2: before we I get into the bracket a bit. You mentioned kind of the, no, it's not a, technically a future, but odds to win the whole thing, I guess, is kind of a future in that sense now that it's here, but you've got... Gonzaga, as you mentioned, three to one overall favorites. I kind of agree with you in that sense, where last year, didn't it feel like the entire time we were on the collision course of Gonzaga-Baylor, Gonzaga-Baylor with a Baylor couple sure. possible detractors? I'd probably say there's six teams that could have derailed that collision course. Weren't they, they? I think they were supposed to actually play in the non-conference season, but, man, that was Pete COVID. They were.
1: The they season. were. Why, I, don't, I can't remember why that got canceled, but that did get canceled. COVID, I assume.
2: Yeah, that remember, that people forget, like, we're a little over a year removed, but the non-conference basketball slate in 2020 was an absolute nightmare. I remember talking to people around Ole Miss, because Ole Miss went on pause for, like, two weeks, and I was like, are y'all going to get any games in? They're like, we'll be lucky to get, like, five. It was a disaster. <laughs> so you had that last year. This year's obviously a little different. It doesn't feel like there's a great team. And so I'm kind of with you, because being three to one doesn't feel like great value there. But as we go down the, the list, is there someone that sticks out to win the whole thing that seems like pretty good value? I'll give you – Auburn at plus 1,400 seems pretty good just from the way they have guard play. The biggest thing with them, from what I've gathered, and I've watched a decent bit of Auburn this year, is their other guards seem to think that they're somehow better than Jabari Smith. And that yeah. like, yeah. plays in their detriment at points a games. It's like, hey, what do you do? Why don't you get this kid the basketball? But four, plus 1,400, that seems like good value. I was just looking at it a second ago. You know, Baylor's just kind of quietly lurking. They win the national title That's last right. year. Boom, they're a one seed again. Beyond that, I kind of found it hard. I could have talked myself into Tennessee at 2,500. But outside mm-hmm. of that, you know, I didn't see anything that stuck out. What stuck out to you about the odds to win the whole thing?
1: Nothing too much. I've been I followed them more uh, more closely towards the beginning of the year. Before the year, I snagged Kentucky at twelve to one. They're sitting at I think Ooh, five to one yeah, right yeah. now. So not a bad one, but goodness gracious, they don't look great late. Um Snagged Texas uh, Texas Tech at around I want to say twenty to one. Uh, towards the middle middle part of February, they got hot, and then uh, you know you almost do it in layers. You have your top layer of Kentucky, Texas Tech, and then my dark horse that I snagged at ninety to one, Memphis. We'll see how they do,
2: dude. The talent is there, you know what I mean? And I, they can I, run with the best of them. Which I love making the penny nit jokes, but the whole you know, from the time I forget which loss it was, I want to say it was like a ten point loss at home to like UCF or someone in January. Uh, Whatever one prompted the, we don't have our full roster, stop asking me these stupid fucking questions, (laughs) that rant. Like, from that point on, to his credit, he got that team playing pretty well. It seemed like they got what's-his-face, Imani Bates, who I didn't read a ton into it, but I know some guys that cover Memphis read some of their work. That man seemed like a locker room issue. And things came together for them. So this whole – Penny wins a game or two. I think the whole Penny can't coach narrative, I'll go hand up and say I was wrong on that. They played really good basketball.
1: Yeah, they, uh, they finished the season on a 12-2 and two run with, uh, with two wins over Houston, two like, pretty emphatic wins over a really good Houston team. It's tough to beat a th- uh, team three times in the conference tournament. But they, uh, they have a possible matchup with Gonzaga looming in the second round, and that will be exciting. They're going to have to get by a boring Boise State team tomorrow that I would have said would have frustrated Memphis in this Penny Hardaway team early in the season. I don't really think that now they're running with the best of them. And that offense is kind of finally clicking. And when they get hot, I watched the Alabama game early in the year, the Houston games, when they get going, they get the crowd into it. They're tough to beat because they're faster than you.
2: Yes, they are. And the last one, the other one you mentioned was Texas Tech. I was a big fan of watching Texas Tech throughout the year. So you have the whole Chris Beard situation. And (laughs) <laughs> this is one of the weird like sports things that happens our nice. brain at times. They make that run to the final four and nineteen and yeah. they're doing this is when Old Town Road Road was hot. Shout out yeah. to yeah, I remember, oh no, yeah. They're doing the locker room celebration. One of the assistants comes in who looks like he's an accountant. I was like, who <laughs> is this dude? And I just started looking like I looked him up. I was on the couch at a I think I was at like Ty Barber's house at the time. And I was <laughs> looking at uh I was, like, looking him off, and I was like, okay, longtime Texas assistant, probably a pretty good recruiter. He's, like, their defensive coordinator. Literally, no. two years later, he gets the job. So, this accountant-looking dude's roaming the sidelines. Well, that dude being the defensive coordinator has played up to par because they beat Texas twice, and they oh, gave Kansas. Tall. And they they should have beaten Kansas twice. They beat them in Lubbock in that double overtime game, one of the better regular season games of the year. Yeah. They were better than Kansas for a lot of that game. They just – Ball bounces the wrong way. You get the Allen yeah. Fieldhouse whistle, run out of gas. They're looking really like to watch because I think you're okay. on to something there because that's another thing in March. They defend well at all five spots. So yeah, they State, do. They State do. went out there for the Big 12 SEC Challenge or whatever, and one of the easiest monies I thought all year was – I can't remember that, – that was, like, plus nine or somewhere in that range. And, like, that's I nice. was looking at State. Like, it's like, are they going to score 50 points on these dudes? That's someone to watch in March because they defend, and they don't have issues scoring either, but they bring it on the defensive end every single timeout.
1: They're fast and they're athletic. Kind of faltered down the stretch a little bit. They lost a game at Oklahoma State. They played Kansas State, who's not a good team, pretty close, and then had a tough one against Oklahoma, and then showed signs that they weren't going to be able to hang in March for 40 minutes at the end of that Kansas game. I don't know if you saw that, but Kansas was pretty comfortably winning by the end of that game, and that was – that was a little concerning for, for the Red Raiders. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes later. But they can run with the best of them. And, you know, they got some player experience. I don't know about the coaching experience. But uh, they should be there in the Sweet 16. Pos- I want to say it could end up being a, uh, a Elite eight rematch against Arkansas from the Sweet 16. Ooh. And I don't know if you watched that game, but that was a football game. They were letting them play out there. Yeah. And I want if Arkansas can beat you know Gonzaga, Memphis, whoever they get matched up with, Sweet 16. Texas Tech has a decent shot at making uh, with upsetting Duke. I don't think that'll be too tough of a game for them, honestly. An Arkansas-Texas Tech rematch in the Elite Eight is what we all need to be praying for in that region because that'll be a good one.
2: Let's hit just throughout where we can start wherever you want. You want to hit this West region. I don't know if you got a bracket up or if you just, we can go whatever way you want from the line perspective. Let's hit this West region first. Is there anything that sticks out from you as far as a lean in this one? You've got, West, or excuse me, I was about to say West Virginia, Gonzaga, the ov- uh, number one overall seed. Got a sneaky 08-9 matchup with Boise and Memphis. I'm, about to, mm-hmm. I'm looking up in live action what this line is right now. Is there anything that immediately stands out to you that you kind of have a lean on from a line perspective in this region?
1: One lean, and I like UConn. I like UConn. Okay. Now, you're going to hear this, in, you know, 17-12 against the spread, but that's not UConn. That is New Mexico State in here, but uh, and they've been solid against the number, but they kind of become somewhat of a trendy pick. I know the five twelve always becomes trendy, but the Western Athletic Conference was weak this year. UConn's really experienced. Cole and Sonogo are going to be too much for the Aggies, I think. And then I think it's UConn by a lot here. Maybe not early, but I think they pull away there a little too much. They got some size. They got some
2: speed. What is that line at as we record this? Because my computer's lagging a little bit, of course, is not cooperating. What is that UConn, New Mexico State line at? Seven, seven, yep. UConn
1: okay. minus seven. So uh, I don't have the total in front of me, but uh, UConn minus seven, I, I, I know that is a lot of points for that five twelve game, which I know, you know. But it's that's a But
2: that's goading the squares to take New Mexico State, is it not? Like, that that's knows. right in that kind of basketball Vegas zone
1: seemed like it seemed like and they they, you know UConn's been playing extremely well I you know not gonna lie I kind of wanted to see them beat Villanova there in the Big East tournament but that was a great game they played tough down the stretch and uh and shoot they play they were battle tested out of season or out of conference they went down to Atlantis and had to play Auburn Michigan State uh I don't know if they had to play Loyola Chicago at any point but that was a you know they put, you know, they played the teams. They're battle tested. New Mexico stayed out of that conference. I don't think can hang with them for forty minutes.
2: Couldn't any lean on Michigan State Davidson because Davidson had a streak early in the year where they looked pretty dangerous. One of those Bob McKillop teams. I'd be lying if I said I watched a ton of Davidson this year, but they always seem to have a couple guys in that six eight six nine range shoot the three ball pretty well. Like yeah. you have a lean there because I, every time and maybe I just caught him on bad nights, but I was thoroughly underwhelmed with Michigan state every time I watched them this year, which is probably about four or five times if I'm being honest when I was paying attention, but that seems like where they could trip up.
1: Yeah. Uh, hasn't been a great season for the Spartans by any means, but Tom Izzo finds a way to get his team back into March somehow. And, we we all know how capable Tom Izzo's teams are. And Mars, they just somehow seem to always be there. Davidson had a strong season. Warrior and Lee can really shoot it. I mean, this team really can shoot it, but really don't know if they have what it takes to bang with uh, with Bingham, Brown, and Hall for Michigan State. I think Izzo advances, but I'm not confident enough to put my money where my mouth is. I, you know, it's pretty tight spread right there, like you said, Michigan states looked soft this year but they've got some size. I'm interested to see how the big Ten pans out in this tournament.
2: What does that one look like from a line perspective?
1: It was two and a half last time I last uh, time so I, I need to pull I'll pull
2: those up. So that's probably ride with the money line one way or another probably lay the extra juice because things get weird. And I, particularly at the end of those games, I was oh. trying to think of uh, there was a game a couple years ago where they brought the teams back on the floor to shoot some inconsequential free throws in a four or five point game. I don't remember which one that was, but was the like, NCAA about
1: came about out with this. this. The NCAA came out with a rule and said, you know, we're playing at the end of the game, the rules have to be adhered to the whole thing. And you could completely tell it was, you know, we are completely pandering to gambling now,
2: you gotta love it. God, here. so this Gonzaga, just from a, a perspective of looking at this entire region, if they get through this region, which I think I like their chances to, they're gonna get, you know, I would say a little bit of teeth at the SEC. You've got Arkansas as the fourth seed in this region against Vermont. Look, Vermont seems like That's one
1: of those plays what you said? I said the Vermont Arkansas game's an exciting game. That's kind of a sleeper upset pick right there.
2: That would be one. I would be curious. So, with that one, I would imagine just without looking at it off the top of my head, that line's in the seven-ish range, too. What is that one at?
1: That line's actually at five. Uh, You know, I don't don't know if you remember, but Arkansas had a tough time with Colgate in the first round last year. It came down to the wire. I don't think Arkansas is going to be underestimating this team like they did uh, underestimating the Catamounts, the Vermont Catamounts. Get that one in your vocabulary before the tournament. I don't think they'll underestimate them like they did Colgate. Uh, Notay and Williams are studs, two of the best, you know, one of the best duos in the country. Um, Vermont, Vermont, solid. They shoot the ball. They shoot it and they're gonna shoot it some more and they have run up the score on that poor little conference they're, they're in um, and have played well. They are a good team, but. That athleticism of Arkansas is just going to be too much. Those guys are good. I mean, they they have size, they have
2: speed, and they go get the damn ball every single time. The last part you just said is I think is the reason where I would end up going to Arkansas. So last year our guys at Skybox had some seriously outrageous metrics on Colgate. If they were to get by Arkansas, it was like, hold on, this team, like the way it's projected – Really. Yeah, that was like a. I can't remember exactly what it was. I'll have to go back and look at it. But basically, it was one of those like, if they get by Arkansas, watch the hell out. So I don't think Arkansas will underestimate them either. I think you're right on with that one. That's one of those ones where I feel like it's begging you to take Colgate, excuse me, UVM in that 413 matchup. But I think that athleticism of Arkansas will eventually kick in. The Alabama Crips and Todd right there in your neck of the woods in the 611 there will play Rutgers or Notre Dame. I'm assuming that will be Rutgers. I know I just kind of dumped in the in a little bit. But, like, if you look at Notre Dame's metrics, that was another one to talk about the Texas – Tech, excuse me, Texas a and screw jobs. Like, Notre Dame actually kind of had a weak resume. Alabama was a fascinating team. Because if you talk about the future famine team in this tournament, if you told me they went Elite Eight, went to – the not won the entire thing. That's probably a little bit brash. But Elite oh, Eight, sorry. Final Four or got bounced in the first round by either one of these teams, I'd be like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. What do you make of them this year? It seems like their front court has really plagued them. That's exactly
1: it. I mean, Alabama has been the most inconsistent team all year. Had great wins. Beat two of the number one seeds, Gonzaga, uh, Baylor, beat Houston, uh, beat Tennessee. I mean, had a solid year, but goodness gracious, when they're bad,
2: they're bad. really,
1: really bad. And, they, you know, they haven't had – More than just one of their starting five players played well in a game in a while. Uh, uh, Haven't had any of the players gel together and put together a good game, all playing as a team. One guy will go out there and score 30. Uh, I'm interested to see, though, I actually was talking about this with a buddy of mine today. Interested to see how a team like, more so Rutgers, a team that's more uh, used to more grind it down, we're going to wear you down, probably score 70 and try and win this game, to an Alabama team that's, you know, they're going to be running the floor, getting a lot of possessions. That ball is going to be moving around. And we'll see how the Big Ten, you know, that'll be a good showcase of how the Big Ten would match up with the SEC at this point, you know, if you wanted one, there it is. Because if you do get that Rutgers-Alabama matchup, that's going to be slow versus fast, like complete extremes on those. So that should be an exciting game. Nobody's uh, quite that optimistic here in Tuscaloosa from the, from the vibe I'm getting. It was a – it was a pretty disappointing season to a lot of uh, the people here. Towards the end of the year, everybody's really happy with Alabama going to the tournament, but goodness gracious, tough year. I, I imagine that line will be, end up being Alabama minus three, whoever they play. A, a tight game, just you know, total end up being one forty-five, one fifty. Uh, I'd stick away from any number in an Alabama game unless you're taking the other side of it, because goodness gracious. Alabama's fine with letting his, uh,
2: letting everybody down, but that's the whole thing. That's right in your backyard there, and that's the whole thing with Oats from the Avery Johnson deal was, is you know I imagine Alabama friends frustration is probably a bit too harsh of a word, but some mild frustration about this year. But isn't that the whole difference between Avery Johnson and Oates is that you have a frustrating year as a sixth seed as a third being perpetual in the bubble? I mean, what was was it the petty or Sexton layup a couple years ago in the SEC tournament that literally got them in the tournament? That was kind of the level they were trying to exceed, and Oates has certainly done that so far.
1: Certainly. It's crazy. Uh, we uh, Alabama lost Kentucky um, a few weeks ago, and everybody was upset at Rupp Arena. I was like, who the hell do you – like? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you think you are, you know, like a little bit, like, goodness gracious. So, Nato's done a good job. We'll see how it goes. If he can get to the second round and play Texas Tech, Alabama plays to the level of their competition. Watch out, you know. If they get hot, they're hot.
2: That feels like a fun one. At the end of the day, doesn't this one feel like, if you're just looking at this region as a whole, actually I have one last thought before we get to that. I just missed this. How many people do you think saw the nauseating Coach K deal and are just going to lay 18-and-a-half on Fullerton out of pipe
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I kind of like the over in that game. I don't know if you've noticed Duke. I mean, Coach K will keep scoring to the end of the damn game. I mean, they would put up 90, to let, other, to let the other team uh, take 70. I want to say the over is uh, sitting at 146-and-a-half. Yeah, 146-and-a-half, and, and that's a decent little play if you're going to do it. Personally, I'm not just – because you never know what that 16 seed or 15 seed they could come out and weigh 45 and uh, put you under the number, but that's an intriguing little pick. And I'll say this: uh, Cal State Fullerton's not bad. You know, it could be an interesting first half. I think Duke will obviously pull away, but they're not horrible.
2: Yeah, I doesn't this region when it comes down to it. If you just made me guess who's in the regional final, that being the Elite Eight. Um, it don't you feel? It feels to me like Gonzaga, probably Tech. I've got Texas Tech coming out of the
1: regional. You know? No, that's uh, what I'm
2: saying. Yeah, so Gonzaga, Tech in the Elite Eight, though, doesn't it feel like? Because like Arkansas.
1: Oh, oh no, 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 no. I personally, I have Arkansas upsetting Gonzaga. I've, Ooh. You know, I think. I like uh, you know, you watch Gonzaga, and they are good. They're talented. You know, they're well coached. But goodness gracious, like. I just don't see him really being able to bang and run with run with the Razorbacks. I mean, when I say – I really think Note and Williams have a chance to do damage in this tournament. That's a good team. Musselman's a good coach. That whole lineup's pretty much back from their Sweet 16 run last year, uh, Elite 8 run last year. So, they know what it takes to win in March. Musselman does as well. They're, they're you know, they're excited. Probably, you know, got a little chip on their shoulder after the way the SEC tournament ended. Uh I like Gonzaga going down to the Razorbacks in the Sweet 16.
2: Let's hit the East region now. This is one that I was looking at earlier today before we were recording, and I, honest to God, I can't get much of a feel for this one at all. So, you've got Baylor as the one seed. Yeah. You've got um, Kentucky as the two. Didn't look very good to end the year, but I still believe in Kentucky throughout the whole sample size of the year. I think Cal will have this guys ready. You've got Purdue as the three, UCLA is the four. Kind of a, yeah, okay, eight, nine, and UConn, Marquette. Outside, of that, actually, we'll get we'll get into that game a little bit because that's actually a pretty exciting game. Uh, I think so too. You've got Shaka, who's been good in year one. They actually played Ole Miss earlier in the year. Ole Miss played them pretty tough, and you can make an argument could have won that game and really just faltered late. And I remember writing at the times like this is probably not a net set top seventy win. Boy, was I wrong? They played pretty well. Let's yeah. uh, we'll get into that one in a second. Just looking up and down this region, do you have just an initial lean for the round of sixty-four game? Is there any matchup in the East that you just love, as far from the line perspective?
1: No, if you're gonna play anything, I think you play North Carolina. If you're gonna play a, play okay. a side, I don't have a feel for the total on anything. But uh, but this is a fun, uh, fun region that could get you know if if there's a lack of control. this could be a fun region. Kentucky, Purdue. Baylor-UCLA, if somehow this ended up chalky and we got one through four on the Sweet 16 line, oh, man, that'd be big time. But I do like UNC. If I do like anybody on the on the uh, round of 64, I do like UNC. UNC's playing well, but Shaka Smart and March, you know, what an exciting guy he is. Uh, should be a good one. Um, Marquette's Lewis and UNC's Armando. That's going to be a big, big-time player matchup within the game and one of the more notable player matchups in the entire first round. Everyone should really be excited about that one. Um, That game's kind of a coin flip. You know, I I expect to see a lot of points scored in that game, you know, both teams are solid. Both teams don't play the greatest defense, but both teams shoot it, you know, keep it going. Um, But Marquette looked pretty bad down the stretch. You can see what's the opposite. Give me the Tar Heels and you can keep the two points.
2: I was about to say, my, my book, by the way, I was already jumped it to three and a half, the side i got up right now. So, looking like some people are agreeing with you there. The total is at 152. Marquette reminds me a little bit of Kermit Davis's first team to where we were pretty – so, like, they, no one expected them. Ole Miss was projected to finish last in the conference that year. You know, who would have known Terrence Davis as an NBA player at the time? But Ole Miss kind leaked some oil down the stretch. The schedule got tougher. They had two tough losses at home to a good Kentucky and a good Tennessee team. But Ole Miss really made their hay off of two wins against Auburn early in that year. Auburn, remember, went to the Final Four that year. And that's kind of what bolstered them into the tournament. I remember they lost to Alabama, I think, the first night they played on Thursday night. And I was wondering if they were going to sweat it out. It turns out they got in without any sort of issue at all. Oklahoma blitzed them. But to me, it seems like the depth and talent kind of eventually caught up to them despite having a terrific year. That's kind of what Marquette reminds me of.
1: That Oklahoma game that was tough. I don't. I don't know if you watched that from start to finish, but I don't. Oklahoma still hasn't missed that night. They made everything they threw up, and they were a decent shooting team that year. But man, that one's still. I'm a little sore on that one still.
2: I, I was out, and I was. I was still working at the time. I remember from the get go thinking it was a pretty terrible matchup because Ole Miss had Bruce Stevens and Dominique Lonichak, and that was literally it in the front court. And that was Brady Manick. And I forget that other kid's name for Oklahoma. And that's kind of where they scored from a bunch. And I mean, that game was not competitive from the start. I mean, they, they yeah, spoiled Ole Miss and torched them. Um, looking up and down this regional, though,
3: you got, got Baylor,
2: It's just been kind of lurking in the weeds. You know, with for the sake of – you mentioned chalk earlier. I could see there being a different – decent bit of carnage. But Baylor's still the one to come out. Because okay. – I think so. I mean, do you, do you view okay. a huge, who do you view as their biggest threat outside of outside of Kentucky? Cause I think they're a legitimate threat three through whatever. Who do you see as the biggest threat to them? In I this think
1: UCLA strong. They played extremely well to the end of the season. And I, I don't know if you watched the PAC 12 championship game, Arizona and UCLA are about as good as anybody. And yes. this UCLA team is extremely experienced pretty much the entire team coming back. Um, this UCLA team super dangerous. They're starting to score the ball a little easier than they, uh, than they were last year. They're not last year's, you know, 11 seed going to the Final Four. This is a big-time team. And they're playing a Baylor team who is not hot right now. They, you know, they had a great season. But them going down to Oklahoma in the Big 12 tournament, not looking great doing it either. It didn't look like Oklahoma was just on fire. And then – Looking extremely bad against a pretty poor Iowa State team there towards the end of the year after they got up big. I'm interested to see how they do. You know, Scott Drew's going to have the Bears ready to play, no doubt about that. But I like UCLA getting past the Bears in the Sweet 16. The experience and really the talent, Juzang, Jockier, I mean, and Tiger Campbell, those boys, watch watch out for the Bruins coming out
2: to the Elite Eight. Off a hell of a run last year, I probably phrased that badly because to me, I look at it and I probably was an oversight at UCLA, but like Purdue is a three doesn't really scare me a ton and you never know what you're going to get with Kentucky. There's some higher seeds in this region that I don't think necessarily have the juice to go to the Elite Eight or the Final Four, but they could ruin someone's day. And honest okay. to God, it starts with the play-in game. You got Wyoming and Indiana. There were
3: a that's couple a times coming
2: on. that is going to be a fun one. That's that's, a, that's okay. coming on in a few minutes after we yeah. as as we record this. That's one's a few minutes out from tip. So I didn't watch a ton of Wyoming this year, but every time I looked up, they were in some sort of yep. high-marquee game. There was yep. a Colorado State game I caught, I believe, Wyoming-Colorado State mm-hmm. or Wyoming-Boise State, one of the two. Great electric game. electric environment early in the year. That's a team kind of from out west where you all of a sudden they're in the round of 32, up seven with, you know, six minutes to go, and you're like, wait a minute, how did these dudes get here? Another one in there is Virginia Tech, hotter than hell. They rolled through the tournament, yeah. and then I'll That's give you crazy. this last one seven-seeded Murray State, who just kind of destroyed everyone in that league. There are some mid-to-highest seeds to where you're like, I don't know a ton about these teams. I don't know if they have the juice to get there out of the region. But they, they could screw some stuff up along the way. Well, I'll tell you what you could be excited about with Murray State.
1: Please beat San Francisco just so we can have Kentucky play Murray State. I don't oh, know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hey, state. Let's get it going. You know, let's see if we had a – yeah, I, I would love to see Kentucky get to play little old Murray State and Murray State catch, uh, catch some heat from beyond the art because, whoo, that would be something. I mean, that would maybe be the most exciting thing that could happen this first weekend if we could get Murray State to beat Kentucky. I mean, little old Murray State from Kentucky knocks off the big blue. We'll see. I don't see it happening, but that would be cool.
2: Are, are you a huge believer? So Murray – excuse me, not Murray State. San Francisco, their opponent in the first uh, in the round of 64 – so, I watched them play a game against Loyola Chicago really early in the year. It was a middle-of-the-day game. That's probably the last time I tuned into probably 35, 40 minutes of a San Francisco game. But just in general, are you a believer in these kind of second, like West Coast second-tier league teams that get these, you know, 10, 12 to 8 seeds? Like, I know it kind of depends on the team in the year, but if it feels like – Other than Gonzaga, no one's really ever been that, like, tough, I guess. There's been a St. Mary's team that's won a game or two. What do you make of that, like, profile of a team?
1: Well, you got St. Mary's in the five-seed in the same region along with San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco is a fun team to bet on because when they played a bad team, they just beat the shit out of them, (laughs) and they were a good time, you know. But – We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't. You know, I, I couldn't tell you too much about how that San Francisco Murray State game. I watched San Francisco in a couple of their games against Gonzaga. I may have caught some of their uh, their uh, St. Mary's game, but they played Sanford early in the year, and Sanford gave them a, Sanford gave them a little tougher time at the beginning, but ran away. But from up the street in Birmingham, everybody kind of took notice who was following college basketball early in the year. Decent team. That
2: should be a good game. I think the line at one and a half, two is just about right. St. Mary's, I know we don't know who they're going to play yet, so I reckon we don't have a line. But five seed had a pretty good year. The guys always got a team full of Aussies, but The team that – I mean, they walk the ball up the floor every time down the court. they run high school-looking sets. I'm not knocking on them because it's a great program, but in terms of that team as a five seed, because that's a real threat with the five seed versus a team they've had as a 10 or 11 or some other years, a team that plays at that pace and can only really afford to play at that pace, don't love them to go past – honestly, if they get Wyoming, I'm not sure Wyoming might run them out of the gym. Indiana, I believe, would be. That is also good, too, because they're physical and athletic. It, you know, every tournament, when you're
1: filling out your bracket, you're looking for a five twelve upset. Well, when you saw St. Mary's on the five line, you're like, thank the Lord I can get this out of the way. You know, here's my easy one. So, could go the other way. They, You know, they beat Gonzaga late in the year, but they always beat Gonzaga late in the year. I don't know if you follow that WCC conference out there, but – St. Mary's always beats Gonzaga once, like at like t- two, you know, one ever, you know, every other year. St. Mary's waxing Gonzaga and giving their their only conference loss of the year. So yeah, we'll see how it
2: goes. you get in those like weird high school gyms, and all of a sudden Gonzaga's down eight, and like yes. half the time <laughs> they end up winning by twelve, and then yeah. the other half of the time it's like, oh, actually they lost. It's just a, it's a great like staple in college basketball. I was probably a little more down on Indiana with how they played in parts of the second half of the year. But I watched that Trace Jackson Davis kid absolutely torch Michigan State in a game earlier this year. That's another one where, like, I just don't see how St. Mary's physically honestly keeps up with either one of those teams. I know it's contrasting styles. I think Utah could kind of shoot them out of the gym and speed up the pace. And then I think you uh, Indiana could kind of bludgeon them over ahead. head. If you're looking for the five twelve upset, don't you think that's where you look? I hate we don't have a line for that one yet because the play-in.
1: Gosh, it's the easiest one. That's for sure. You know, because <laughs> you know it's coming somewhere. It's it. You know, it happens every year. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that's actually a stat. I'm pretty sure it happens every single year. And then you look at the other five C's. They're not very easy to pick against. But so St. Mary's comes
2: in, saves the day, give you an easy one. Don't even sweat it. Uh, Murray State minus one San Francisco. Do you like the uh, Murray State's the Eagles? No, they're the racers. Excuse me. Do you like the, the racers there? The, the short money likes the racers. They, okay. they do. A lot of people don't really understand why San
1: Francisco is in this game, and it is a little bit of a shame that they're in this game. They didn't win the conference, they stole a bubble team away. Uh, I think we've been giving the credit to San Francisco for a little too long. The Dons, you know, I mean, it's tough to, tough to not give respect to that name, but nonetheless. I see the Racers get into the second
2: round and playing Kentucky to see who gets the championship of the uh, of the Commonwealth. That will be an incredibly fun basketball game. I hope that one happens. Let's roll to the South region where Arizona, who every time I watched him, I was texting the skybox guy. So he has a lean earlier, and I say lean, he was just kind of giving me as he was starting his deep dive some live notes there. And he mentioned, I have about seven, or you guys, I got about six teams that can win this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, ucla baylor gonzaga auburn and through arizona in there i really have no qualms about either of those i think he's on the money there every time i watched arizona this year they absolutely destroyed folks looking up and down this region you know you've got tennessee in there and you know, villanova in march it'll be a tough one but i look at this one and i'm not sure i love any of the higher seeds to kind of make a ton of noise in this one what's kind of your read in this region
1: I've got, I've got Arizona taking this one home. If you haven't been paying attention, they've been the best team all year. They can do it all. Rebound, defend, score it. Um, they're as athletic as any team in the country. Um, but we'll see if their first-year head coach can get it done. Uh, their players have the talent. There's, you know, there's no question about that. They're going to more than likely be the most talented team on the court versus anybody they face. They can really rebound. They're strong. And you're gonna, you have to shoot it to win in March Madness. Now, you know, even Virginia, you know, it could shoot it if it came down to it when they want it, and they can shoot it. They're really good. And I actually have them cutting down the nets against UCLA
2: in a rematch of the Pac-12 championship to finish. Oh, how about that? I like that. That is a – that's a bold projection there. The um, – oh. looking at this from the line perspective as we roll through this region, is there anything stands out as far as these first-round games – from a uh, from a wagering perspective that sticks out I was just looking at it from there was one that stuck out is Chattanooga got a pretty good basketball team there was a uh, UT what are you doing? Game was pretty, we got talk we got to talk about our man Andy Kennedy
3: oh yeah so Billy
2: Walker dangerous yes. going up against a Houston team that to their credit they lost two important players early in the year and tried to water do you like them against Houston I was trying to find that line as we were looking at it what do you like there? An,
1: an extremely talented deep Houston team. Uh, they're looking to make another Final Four run. They rebound, play hard. They're a strong, solid team. When they're shooting, they're uh, they're a top five team in the country. Uh, really eight hoping and a half to get it. I got it at right now. Really, it's eight and a half. It went yeah. down a point since today. I bet you know, kind of a fan favorite, um, UAB, but kind of hoping we get to see Arizona matched up with, uh, Houston, the sweet 16, but this experience, this is an experienced roster. Kelvin Sampson has been around for a long time, but they're coming up against a hot UAB Blazers team. And as an Ole Miss alum, you got to give credit to Andy Kennedy. I mean, our man has done well in Birmingham. Uh, And Jelly Walker's obviously kind of come on the scene as what's, you know, made candidate for darling of the tournament. I just don't think stories gets it done in this one. Houston's tough. Tough first-round matchup for them.
2: They are some really 2013 vibes with this UAB team and this uh, 2013 Ole Miss team and this UAB team. Ridiculous scorer, Marshall Henderson, Jelly Walker. Ole Miss gets off to a hot start that year has a couple really bad February losses. There was a road loss at South Carolina and then one to a bad state team where it's like, holy hell, this team's going to have to win 26 games to get to get an at-large win in the tournament. Different SEC back then. But UAB kind of followed a similar path. slump later in the year, removed all doubt in the conference tournament by just kicking down the door and winning it. That was a great game between them and Law Tech because, unfortunately, with the way UAB slipped, And the margin for error in a league like that is so much slimmer. That was a game. That was a good Louisiana Tech team, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kenneth uh, Kenneth Lofton or Kenny Walker, whatever that kid's name from Law Tech. I actually watched them play Ole Miss in an NIT game out here in Frisco. $3 tickets, probably 25 people in the gym. Me and a couple of our buddies went out there on a Friday night. had nothing to do. And that kid ripped Ole Miss to shreds. And he doesn't really look like a basketball player either. So, like, that almost made it, like, more insulting that he was torching them. But AK yeah. removes all doubt. He gets in, wins the conference tournament like they did in 2013. I will say this: Houston is tough and complete. But every year when you got a team that makes that out of the first weekend, there's some sort of storyline, some sort of score that 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 is. If that is kind of following that Disney script, that is Jelly yeah. Walker written all over it, doesn't it? I'll probably take him at an eight and a half. What do you like there? Oh,
1: I'm going to be honest. I just don't think UAB can stick with the Cougars for 40 minutes. They do. I like not that
2: brain re- over heart. I love that. They don't
1: rebound well enough. You go back and watch that North Texas game they played in played in February against uh, – North Texas game they played in February. Just couldn't rebound, and once a team can really put the glove on them, they kind of, you know, fall back into that old-school Andy Kennedy style when somebody really got out and guarded. I mean, and, you know, some plays had to be drawn up. It's not as easy on that offense. We'll see, but this Houston team's good. I think it'll be an exciting game for a little while I just think Houston ends up pulling away by the end of it. I think they cover the number.
2: Another one in this region that I was looking at from a line uh, at the line, just from a first round matchup, not necessarily anything projecting forward, is we talked about not necessarily believing Michigan deserves to be in this sucker. That's a really good Colorado state team that's two and a half point underdogs. Is that stink to high Evan because it's a trap? What do you like there?
1: No, it's actually one of my favorite picks of the I, first round. Michigan, Michigan minus two. Michigan minus two. Oh, you're on the two. other
2: side. Okay. Yeah, like Michigan me.
1: minus two is one of my favorite uh, favorite picks. Like I said, now I've been a big-time Colorado State guy this year. They start off the season extremely hot against the spread. But uh, Juwan Howard's back. The The players are going to be fired up. They got in. And like I said earlier, when Michigan gets in – They've caused problems for the last decade. They aren't flashy, but they're going to wear you down with Dickinson inside. Colorado State, solid team, really, really good Mountain West Conference. Uh, they had you know incredible run against the spread, so they became the gambler's favorite team towards the, uh, towards the beginning of the year. John Rothstein actually kind of opened the barn door on that and you know gave everybody up. Uh, with the tweet in uh, with the tweet in late December, but I'm not sure they have the size to beat Michigan. Though they're kind of a small team that doesn't shoot incredibly well. Their leading rebounder is a, guy, a really good player named David Roddy at six five, um, and they'll also have multiple guys playing at just six feet tall as well. Now Michigan isn't huge on the outside, but um, I, I just don't think they'll be able to bang with Dickinson. Now Colorado State does have a lot of upperclassmen though. Um, and that carries a lot of weight at this time in March. I just don't think that they can hang with Michigan when Michigan does play well. They're not a bad team. I really, really like the Wolverines minus two. If you have to take them at two and a half, I think it'll be fine.
2: For the sake of the coaches' safeties, if, if Michigan gets on a run, we, we might, we might have an issue here. You're going to have dudes throwing haymakers at other coaches to fire their team up in future years. So I, I don't know if we can open. have Michigan making a run in this thing. Cause uh, you know, some of these smaller coaches might be in a world of hurt. You got to keep your head on – and we now know you got to keep your head on a swivel when you're playing
1: Juwan Howard, and that's okay. I mean, that's okay. I'm glad that they didn't take any extreme and you know, expel him like, all right, man, you know, you threw, you threw some hands, we'll
2: cut you off, you'll come back for the tournament. At least he's not like Will Wade, you know. could be a lot worse. That was one of the worst, like, take, <laughs> nauseating internet, like, debates, takes, whatever, everyone has to have a side on something now, no matter how something ludicrous something is. Yes. There's always a dissenting side. But then there's the, the faction of, like, the internet that's obsessed with punishing people. And it becomes yeah. this contest until you get to, actually, let's give Juwan Howard the death penalty. Let's actually <laughs> put him in the chair. Yes. There's one side saying he did nothing wrong. It's like, am I the only one here reading the internet right now being like, he should be suspended. That was absurd. But let's not kick him out of
3: the ter-
2: – oh. like, you know, whatever, kick, fire him, whatever. I just thought rest of the season maybe, regular season, whatever. That was just like a completely absurd thing the entire time.
1: Like I stuck. I was actually part of the uh, part of the uh, the internet that was looking more at the slow motion videos of it. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I thought it was awesome.
3: You know, <laughs> whatever.
1: I do not care. <laughs> you know, it was great. You know, we got we got a Big Ten, two big time programs. I mean, you know, everybody is like, oh my gosh, up there right? all high and pristine at Wisconsin and Michigan. You know, great schools
2: nonetheless. Sort of sort of insult, but goodness gracious, that was comical. Illinois Chattanooga the mocks are plus seven and a half I don't know what you make of Illinois they've been kind of seem like an up and down team there's some nights where I was like okay they look really good in the other ones I'm like do they have any teeth to them at all uh again not a regular mocks watcher but on kind of the stage late in the year and some early games they uh they definitely lived up to the billing seven and a half feels like a lot plus 265 money line what do you like in this one
1: if, if you're going to take anything, honestly, I'm going the favorite. Uh, Illinois with yeah. Coburn down low is really strong, and the the conference that Chattanooga comes out of, it's not great, and they don't shoot it extremely well. Now they have the size to play in this game, so if they can get hot from uh, from behind the arc, they've got a chance in this game. I don't see that necessarily happening because they're not that great of a shooting team, but. Watch out for this one. I would, you know, if you're going to play it, I'm playing. You know, I'm definitely playing the it. But Chattanooga is an interesting team, kind of caught late. But that conference is weak this year. On um, the Southern Conference, we not going to end up playing against the Big Ten. There's a chance. There's a chance this is one of those trendy little upset picks uh, that Illinois ends up winning by 30. Uh, that's a possibility in this game because they're experienced. They're fast. They're strong. They rebound. Solid team if they can get high. As
2: far as out of this region, there wasn't much else that stuck out in the first round game. Villanova killed Delaware. Got to love
1: Loyola-Chicago in this game.
2: Uh, yeah. That's a pick them. So, that's, is that your favorite one out of this region, first round game? Ohio State, Loyola-Chicago. I'm with you there. Don't love yep. the Ohio State part of it. Loyola-Chicago just has a bunch of older dudes, it seems like, that's real tough. And yep. when, there's, when you have a coach leave a program like that and there's no drop-off, that tells me one. I'm not a big coaching buzzword thing, but great culture and also great talent that he left on Texas Tech. Another example of that. No drop off. I would love the Ramblers there too. That's a pickum as I show it right now.
1: It's been a pickum for a while. Uh, we know sister. We know sister Jean's voodoo and Mark. She's back again. She has not. You know, thankfully she's still Thanks, with. She's us. still with us. She is still with us, and uh, I think the results are going to be similar to what we've seen in the past from the Ramblers and. In March, Missouri Valley champion, that was an extremely tough conference this year. They're a frustrating team to play. When they're shooting well, they're a top 15 uh, team in the country. They're battle tested. They went down there to that battle of it, uh, battle for Atlantis this year and played against Auburn, played against Michigan State. They played a tough schedule. I wanna say they played UConn as well. But Lucas Williamson for Loyola Chicago is a really fun player when he's hot. I'm hoping we get to see that. Uh, Ohio State shown flashes this year of being a good team. That early win versus Duke kind of, you know, kind of allowed them to coast the rest of the season and lose a couple games. But uh, they became really inconsistent during conference play. And check this stat out that I dug up. 0-5 in the last five games that they didn't score above 70. That's the type of game Loyola Chicago's going to give them. Loyola is going to defend them. Now, Adele for Ohio State is as good as anyone in the country, but watch Loyola Chicago box out in this game. When the ball goes up, they're flying around. They're going to frustrate Ohio State. They're going to win the game.
2: I like that one a lot. You already told us who you like coming out of this region, but let's just say I told you that I went into the future, and Arizona, for some reason, did not come out of it. Who is it because?
1: Tennessee in the Sweet 16. I like that, too. They're in the the Elite Eight. Tennessee is – Tennessee's hot. They have size. And when they're shooting, when they're shooting, all bets are off because they're really, really good. They're experienced. Rick Barnes is a great coach. He's been there. And, gosh, you know he wants to get back to a Final Four. Um, If any team deserves it this year, it's the volunteers. After everything, kind of getting the, you know, kind of getting the short end of the stick, actually absolutely getting the short end of the stick on the seating. They deserve it. They're going to be a tough matchup if Arizona has to see them, or Houston. Whoever comes out of that region, I think you're going to have to match up with the Volunteers because they don't have that hard of a, of a path to the to the lead eight. They play Villanova, who they did lose to early in the year, but I don't know if you've been necessarily watching that. Fulkerson, a couple of those guys weren't necessarily healthy for those yeah. games. It seems at full strength, and they're playing strong right now.
2: Good guard play. It's easy to ride uh, Tennessee for sure. You know, it, for in terms of a first round matchup, they're like seventeen against Longwood, which what a name for a school. I think yes. NCAA tournament appearance. Awesome stuff out of them. Come on, the hardwoods. It? They. But do you make anything of Tennessee getting screwed by the seating and just blowing them by thirty? Do, you, do you, you know? I don't love the big lines, it's in March, it's- minus seventeen.
1: It's possible. It's a lot of points. And I'm kind of doing this with Purdue versus Yale as well. Got a couple, got a few bets before that. We'll see how the days go. And maybe I have a little house money to throw on the volunteers because I would be so inclined. The only problem is so Tennessee can lock you up and they don't play the fastest ball in the world. They're going to shoot a lot of two pointers. Um, you know they'll be inside the arc a lot. A lot of times they don't don't end up creating that much space. First game jitters, never know. If you have some house money, I would definitely you know try out the balls, but I wouldn't I wouldn't circle that as your
2: as your play of the day. Let's get to our final region here, the Midwest. Kansas, the one seed. Auburn is the two. This is this one's got a potential to be a wild one. Really, it's all good. of these we've said that about pretty much every one. Maybe it's a fun tournament. It's an extremely yet. fun tournament. So we've got Auburn as the two. Wisconsin there lurking is the 3. Yeah. Oh, uh, who we have is the 4. I missed that one up top. Oh, excuse me. Providence and then Iowa Big 10 champion Iowa is the 5. This one's kind of a sneaky stack division and then honestly in the 8-9 matchup, I don't know a ton about San Diego State, but I know Creighton lost like four or five starters off of that team last year and yeah. Back in it top, you know, 8-9 seed, did they, they they made it to the Big East title game, is that correct? East title
1: game and played, uh, played Villanova in a really tough game. I don't know if you saw the end of the first half of that yeah. baseball, uh, championship game. It was like 18-19 to 19, or 18-18. to 18. It was unbelievable. They're going to play defense. They don't, shoot, they don't shoot the ball incredibly well. But San Diego State is back to he- being healthy. And I think if the Mountain West gets a, uh, tournament re- a tournament win in the round of 64, I think it comes from the
2: Aztecs. Oh, I like that. Okay. But so
1: my, we've fa- got- my favorite game – I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no go ahead. You, you're on a roll. You got it. My favorite game in the whole tournament is South Dakota State Providence. It's, you know, favorite game in the whole tournament. Uh, and South Dakota State is my favorite team in the entire tournament. The Jackrabbits. Really hope they're this year's Cinderella if there is one. But they have become a trendy pick. Uh, The Summit League isn't very good, but these guys can shoot it. And when I say shoot it – they shoot it early, they shoot it often, and they keep shooting. Uh, they can't play defense now, but they can shoot. Um, Vegas has had them pegged all year. Uh, they're two games above five hundred on the against the spread, and their total split is only two games. Vegas caught on to them, but man, it, it was tough not to. Uh, the over was a fun bet on them towards the beginning of the season. It it was all right throughout the season. But it got to a point where you you were having to take an over 160 with the Jackrabbits. Now Providence, on the other hand, we'll see. I watched them on a uh, in a game early uh, early against Virginia, and man, it was bad. This team can be really bad at time at times, but they have found a way to win all year. Uh, they don't shoot well, but they played solid defense. They'll have they'll have to play with a little more sense of urgency. But the fact that south dakota state at only plus two and it hasn't moved either way it's just
2: and this is the 413
1: certainly and you know as soon as the bracket came out the trendy pick was the jackrabbits upset so trendy that you know i'd probably say five you know at least five out of the 10 upset picks are are coming from that game uh gonna be a fun one but uh Going to be a really fun one, and I I loved South Dakota State as soon as it came out. But the more you look at it, the more you talk to people, the more you realize everybody loves the Jackrabbits and what's not to love. They're going to be that's going to be an exciting game. But what I think you should play here is the over 149 and a half. Okay, if you could have gotten over 149, you just got to look at it like this if you could have gotten an over 149 and a half in any of South Dakota State's games, uh towards the end of the season, you know, that would have been your only bet for the day. It was – and now that you got Providence, they don't necessarily score it well, but I'm telling you, South Dakota State, as well as they shoot it, they can't play defense at all. At all. <laughs>
2: you were leading me right where I was going to go there, too, because Providence, you know, they finish at the top of the Big East regular season standings. They're the first one And yeah, the first one of the uh, – first regular season conference title in program history – I saw there was a lot of dissenting opinions about kind of the luck factor. I know Ken Palm actually measures luck, Providence right up there. I didn't love that from the standpoint of like, look, you win a Big East Conference title, you win a Early. Big Conference title. But when you look at it from a sheer metric standpoint, they were fortunate. But sometimes teams have years like that. I think the line speaks for itself. If it's a two-point line in this 4-13 matchup, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a fun you pick game. Aside, it's Vegas be damned. Like, I think you probably roll with the jackrabbits here. I think over it's probably the safest play there. I was going to lead you to another one. This has nothing to do with any sort of metric because I haven't looked at it on. Iowa State is plus four against yeah. LSU. LSU does not have their coach. They feel like a dead program walking. They're freakishly athletic. I don't even know who their interim coach is because yeah. the top assistant, former AK assistant, Bill Armstrong, Probably getting hit with a show cause. He got canned too. This feels like the final nail in the coffin for LSU hoops for a while. Do you like the Cyclones here? I'll be honest. I watched about five Iowa State games this year, tops. Don't know a ton about their team, but I know what they're facing on the other side, and that looks like a wounded dog.
1: Interesting game. I didn't even bother – uh, you know, looking into any stats or anything because this one is all about intangibles. How does LSU respond to the Will Wade saga? Ooh, tough times down there in Baton Rouge right now. I'm, you know, kind of feel for feel for some of my friends. Shout out Tapper Patrick. Uh, but if they respond well and pu- you know play with some passion, play for the purple and gold down there, they should win this game. I've got to say,
2: Will Wade on the sideline, it's LSU all the way.
1: Certainly, but. Iowa State uh, lost seven out of their last 11 and looked really, really bad at times doing it. You go look at their uh, schedule, goodness gracious, they lost double-digit, a lot of double-digit losses. And now I, I came up with a rule as I was doing some prep work, and that is if you lost to this year's West Virginia, by double digits <laughs> oh, in you February, sure. you're garbage. And I, you know, I may have made that rule, but, you know, it's, screw it. That's the rule. And, you know, this Iowa State team is trash. We don't know what we're going to get out of LSU, but I am telling you this Iowa State team is trash. Should is. not be in the tournament. It's really upsetting that they got in because they had no business being in
2: this tournament. Huh. So do you think you go the, the the inverse, like the LSU, just the other side can? Tr- we'll see. I mean, go down. I mean, that's kind of a
1: hooping and hollering bunch. I mean, they you know they play with some passion. They talk a little smack out on the court, uh, and they you know they finished the season strong. It uh, they got raked by Arkansas in the uh, in the SEC tournament, but I think that you know probably just caught them on a bad day. When here's the thing about LSU: LSU turns the ball over. And they don't shoot necessarily well. The thing is, when they're good, all they've got to do is do one of those things right. If they're, if they're taking care of the ball, they're going to win because they're, they can really break down and defend you. But if they're shooting well, it doesn't even matter if they're turning the ball over. They get hot, they're hot. It's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. Uh, don't really have that, you know, if, if you, if you want to – This is a win, wild, wide open region. Wide open. Goodness gracious. Uh, Auburn, Miami, you know, USC, it's good. it's a good, you know, it's fun. You have Auburn playing Jacksonville State. That's a big game here in Alabama. I don't know how they, how they
2: allowed that to happen. But, nonetheless, Auburn, you better not lose. Doesn't that kind of blow to Jacksonville State? Like, you get in the tournament, of course, you're probably not winning a game. Can't the, couldn't they go play someone out of region? It's like, oh, we got to play these okay. two. Like that kind I of – <laughs> From the same state.
1: I mean, Jacksonville State, you know, Jacksonville State's a nice two-hour drive. Up, uh, up the highway, but be an interesting little bracket. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I've, I've actually got Iowa coming out of this one. You know, you got Ooh. Iowa playing. You got, well, you got Iowa playing Richmond in this first round, and Richmond ended up beating a good Davidson team, but they're not very good. They, uh, they lost four of seven down the stretch. Um, kind of got hot there at the end of the. Um, In the conference tournament, took a spot away from a bubble team, a little upsetting. But nonetheless, Iowa is playing as good a basketball as anyone is in the country. I don't know if you watched the Big Ten championship game. And honestly – That was a great game. Great game. But the ten games prior to that, Iowa is just – I mean, you don't really mess with the family business. That is Iowa Hawkeyes basketball. These guys can play. They've got, like, the 10th-year man, Jordan Bohannon. Who just uh, who just got uh, all first team all American today? He's, he took his COVID year. It feels like he's been there forever. But these guys are serious. They can rebound. They can shoot. They're going to make some noise in this tournament as a five seed. Watch out for the Hawkeyes.
2: The Creighton San Diego State eight nine. I know we covered that a second ago. That's two and a half. Do you have any lean there? Or is that kind of just to stay away? Yeah.
1: You don't know. You almost want to say that the only people that care about this game are Warren Buffett from Omaha and then Kawhi Leonard from, from L.A. who went to San Diego State. I mean, this is a kind of a snoozer. This will be one of those ones that you keep up on the score bug on the top right of the screen, and maybe if it comes down to the wire, you'll uh, you'll pan in. But this shouldn't be too high of a scoring game. There's a ch- Watch out for this game. There's a chance this game doesn't get out of – a two-possession game the entire game. It could be one of those types of games where it's just a grind it out, let's see who gets to 65 first.
2: Wisconsin Colgate, our friends at Skybox love the Colgate. Colgate, I don't even actually know what they are. I was about to say toothbrushes. I don't think they're that but loved them last year. Should they have gotten past Arkansas gave them a run for their money. They didn't. This is a three fourteen matchup that is only Wisconsin minus seven and a half. Do you get any bad juju? These are the metrics. I look at it. Wisconsin celebrating the title a little prematurely. Got the great totally. guard deal. Do you like the Colgate here? What do you, do you have a lean in this at all? I certainly wouldn't play
1: this number. I want to say it's uh Wisconsin by seven right now.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm showing seven and a half. So right. Yeah. Right in that range. And, and Wisconsin, I, I they did beat
1: Purdue to end the um to end the Big Ten, you know, get their co champs uh, kind of bad omen for them because they've struggled ever since that uh, that point. But the first team All American's going to do, you know, he's going to come to play. But and they got a little help from Arkansas last year. You're going to definitely know this year not to not to overlook Colgate because they're coming to play and they're coming to win. They have a lot of the same team back from last year. They're going to make plays. Um, gosh, a stay away game. I'm picking, Um, I'm picking Wisconsin in my bracket, but just because, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to pick, you're going to pick a four over the four over the third. Or yeah, I've already got uh, the Jackrabbits beating Providence. I can't have,
2: I can't have the three and the four going down. Can I, is that too much? I mean, you've had – we've had weirder years, you know, when you yeah, don't have a dominant team, who the hell knows. Who do you like coming out of this region, though? Oh, Iowa, like, you mentioned that a second ago. Though. You like the Hawkeyes. I so, like
1: it- Iowa, and I think that game that they – the possible matchup that they have with Kansas in the second round or in the uh, Sweet 16 will be a good one. Both teams are playing their best basketball right now. That could be – you know, I switch. I, you know, I went back and forth. I had Kansas at first because they are playing well, but – Iowa really has the size to do it this year. as a, And I know they have Luca Garza. But my man down low for Iowa can really bang down there. And he can, you know, he can pass. he This, that, and though other. It's a very experienced team. And I think they get uh, the nod over Auburn in the Elite Eight. Who, by the way, if anybody has the easiest road to the Sweet 16 in this bracket, take a look at Auburn. I mean, the winner of USC Miami, I mean – You can check those teams out and figure out what it is. But then you're playing, you know, LSU, Wisconsin, Iowa State, or Colgate to go to the Elite Eight. I mean, they got the dream of all draws.
2: Yep, which makes their value at that plus fourteen hundred a little salty there. Let's uh as we wrap up here, that's all the leans. What uh is your card for your card on Thursday and Friday? If you had to give the public here however many picks you want, I'll put a cap on it. What do you like each day?
1: Gotcha. I'll, I'll give you two layers. My best bets are Michigan minus two, Iowa minus 10. And then my other bets, will little, little slab lower. I don't know how, how big we are in the units around here, but if you're divvying up units, uh, this is the lower tier of them. South Dakota State Providence over 149.5. Really like that. I just think South, uh, South Dakota State's going to create too many possessions in this game for that to stay under the number um, I like oil Chicago as a pick them against Ohio state oil Chicago is extremely hot. Great team. They've been here. Sister Jean, what more can you say? Um, UConn minus seven against New Mexico state. I think Yukon's just too much for them. And then maybe a tad bit lower. Purdue's going to blow out Yale. They're going to beat them by 25 at least. So those are my picks.
2: You heard it from the man himself, Johnny Heat, Esquire. We'll have to check in maybe next week after we get through these first couple rounds of games. This is a lot of fun, my man. I appreciate it. Brian Scott, I appreciate you having me on. All righty. That is our show. Good uh, good talking some basketball with an old friend there. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with a couple of dudes that are fired up about March Madness. As I'll mention one more time, Skybox fired up about March Madness to lead you to profit as well. So we might have a uh, depending on how the winners go, Mr. Uh, Jonathan Heat back there on the pod here soon. But if you made it to the end, I really appreciate you tuning in uh, and making us a part of your day, whatever it is you're doing. Big show on Friday, too. We're going to do a little spring football preview with Weldon Rodenberg and uh, Mailback Friday. I know we were off the Mailback Friday train last week just with the way the podcast dropped and the baseball schedule being a little bit earlier. But uh, we'll be back with your mailbag questions and some spring football preview. So stay tuned for that. Appreciate you guys listening as always, and we will catch you on Friday.